everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. Coach Justin Kavanaugh may have agreed to come onto this show under the guise of talking about sport and speed, but little did he know that our crew of deep thinkers would pull him into a classic Power Athlete Radio vortex. Cav unloads the hate in his heart for how sport is changing because he longs for the days where shit-talking was like donning a warm blanket and mental toughness was developed on the field, not taught. After several decades of coaching predominantly football players, he has a keen eye for who will withstand the pain and sacrifice at the highest level. And if you are one of those people who only tune in for the movie reviews, well, you can go straight to hell. Just kidding. There is plenty of football and wrestling movie banter towards the end of the show. Go ahead and pour yourself two fingers of your favorite bourbon and unwind with your podcast besties. Here it is, episode 398. So you want set? You want to do sexy intro? Hi, Power Athlete Nation. Oh, hello there. Hi, this is the ladies' man coming at you live mm-hmm. from Austin, Texas. Friend, friend of friend the of podcast. the podcast, heavy breather. Also, <sighs> with that deep, very white love. Any other sexy voices on this podcast? Well, can you got a deep, very white voice? You know. Oh, Ooh, uh, you little know. panty dropper, you. Uh-huh. Next thing you know, you're going to be out there with a uh, whipped cream bikini. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> McCool- absolutely yeah, right. Whipped cream bikini. No, ladies and gentlemen, this I'm going to take some pictures and text them to th- people. We're not talking. We do not. We do not talk like this. <laughs> the whole podcast. And no, this isn't a podcast about varsity blues and whipped cream bikinis. But we do get are into you, those. Movies. Are you going to talk? Um, the best voice that I wish I could knock off at all times is Gunny Highway in Heartbreak Ridge, Clint Eastwood. Mm-mm. You've, you've never seen. I don't think. No, Heartbreak I'm not like. Ridge? No, not a spaghetti western guy. God, no, it's not a spaghetti western. Oh, it's like it's, a, it's a military movie from the right. '80s where uh, Thomas Gunny Highway, oh. uh, played by Clint Eastwood, gets called back to recon at the end of his career and comes One in there. One last job, uh, dude. Comes in there and whips these young military dudes into shape, and it is the best. What's the movie? Heartbreak Ridge. I, you know what? Now it's ringing a bell. God. I, but still haven't seen it. Damn it. I know. Sinner. Sinner. <sighs> I'm, taking it da- I'm taking the note Dude, down. Heartbreak Ridge is like a classic, classic. So the nice thing about this, and here's why this is a, a promising experience for me. The title alone, I could tell Ashley it's like a romantic movie. <laughs> <laughs> it so, kind of is romantic. So like on our movie bit. night we, during the week, I could be like, How, there's a place, it's called Heartbreak Ridge. Well, it's supposed to be really good. It's kind of like, it's right next to Brokeback Mountain. Yeah, yeah. Which, hey, fantastic movie. I'm sure Tex can't watch it. Gives them anxiety. I thought it was weird that they were eating beans. Well, because they're lentils and it affects protein synthesis. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, how come nobody was Probably laughing? Cubes, when cubes. <laughs> I'm like, oh God, there's so many jokes. I'm not going to lie room. to you. I've never seen it. I've never seen it. I have to see it. Huh? You know whose favorite movie it is? Crackers. Oh yeah, Dusty Crackers. For real? <laughs> I uh, want, I'm, yes. I'm sure. For the sake of this conversation <laughs> right now, what's if weird, you were here, he would also be agreeing. What's weird is he always tries to get you to dress up as a cowboy uh-huh. for every Halloween oh, so yeah. you guys can go out as the broke back mm-hmm. couple. That's why him and oh, Texas are Oh, that's what that was about. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we have a killer show today. Uh, man, with a huge intent to talk about speed, we got Miss into... that one. Well, we got into like, and not the big kind of uh, tumultuous capital P politics, but like the nuance in politics around pro sports now and kids getting into the system. Uh, 
and like it was interesting, John, to hear you know a guy who's working from it on like the placement side and, and combine prep side, and you guys comparing and contrasting your experience and then what you know to be true as well, and just like how things have evolved and how the, some things have never changed. But um, we're, we're talking with Justin Cavanaugh today, and Tex, you know him through just the, the seminar racket. No, I or, met I'm sorry, him. The clinic met racket? him at Jay DeMeo's the seminar in Richmond, Virginia. And then just so happened that Justin owns a, a beautiful facility that is close to my sister. So when I go there during uh, Christmas break, go and visit her and then train out of Justin's facility, the Sport and Speed Institute in Northern Virginia. Nice. Yeah. And I mean, works with a lot of clearly works with a lot of people. Yeah. No, he's switched on, dude. Yeah. And it, like has has immersed himself in the sports that he's training his athletes for and, and understands the dynamics at the pro level. So it was cool to hear from like the player perspective and then like kind of a, would you call him a mentor? I mean, uh, he's, he's got a lot of interesting nuance. Yeah. Like, like yeah. He, he coach he, for sure. He sees it on the inside. Like he has a good relationship with the players. Uh, I thought it was funny. Like as he's, as he's telling these stories or even talking about it, like when he was talking about the one kid with, uh, you know, I don't know what they were shooting into my shoulders. I'm like, Oh, I do. I know exactly <laughs> what they were shooting. Into my shoulders. Uh, yeah. And because I saw those needles. Um, so it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's good and it's bad because things haven't changed and maybe that's a good thing or a bad thing however you look at it but it was a very fruitful conversation yeah for sure and uh, i know you're gonna love it so tune in strap in for at least two hours of uh some solid banter yeah we he didn't drop his social but at coach cav k-a-v is a social and then he's an author of a book called man up that's on amazon Mm. and we'll have that linked in show notes as well conversation so juicy we didn't even get into those yeah, yeah, Easy seriously. So the, layups. Yeah, there's definitely a part two in the works as well, so you know it was uh, Well, what's was weird is Texas' episode. new book, Cowboy Up, is coming out soon. Yeah, Cowboy Up. I'll help you well, with that one. I'll tell you, I, I do like Cowboy Cold Beers, mm. which it's warm beer. A YouTube clip was pushed into a group text message of mine of Burt Reynolds in a leather jacket and covered in Vaseline. What movie is this? Oh, that was in um, uh, that stripper movie with Demi Moore. Is that that Showgirls? No, no, where no she's not a, Showgirls. She's a stripper. Striptease. Striptease. And he like covers himself in weird Vaseline. Yeah, he's is a that judge. Cowboy? Is that cowboying up? Hey, Burt <laughs> Reynolds calls can do whatever he wants. <laughs> Text calls that Saturday night. Yeah, Burt Reynolds is a saint. R.I.P. Um, ladies and gentlemen, before we get started, though, did you know? Did you know Power Athlete Radio has been steadily climbing? Uh, what do you call it when you're you're climbing a mountain? Isn't there ascending ascending the charts? Is that, that's not yeah, the word I'm looking are, for, but that's we are, perfect. We are ascending the charts. Ascending the fitness charts on iTunes, and we have only one person to thank. Well, like multiple versions of one person, you, the listener. So thank you for being a proud, loyal listener. Thanks for sharing episodes with your friends and getting people on the bandwagon, helping us be the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Well, we already are the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Continue to be. Well, no, we're trying to get it out to more people. Well, I guess we're trying to, we're the premier podcast in strength and conditioning, but Ing. now, Ing, we're, now we're trying to be the premier podcast in fitness. No, we just want to be yes. the best in the yes. fitness category. In the category. But we're talking about performance. That's and right. And a whole bunch of other stuff that mm-hmm. you're probably not ready for. And listen, yeah, if you just do the sexy stuff, you'll get fit. So build yourself to perform. But first, before you do anything, stop. Stop what you're doing. Go to iTunes. Because I'm about to ruin <laughs> everything you're... No. The, the, I'm tr- I can't. I'm lost lyrics. It's, it's the Humpty Dance. Remember? I know. Stop what you're doing because I'm, I'm about, about to ruin, ruin the rhythm and the rhyme, rhyme that, that you're used to. Because I'm... Hum- uh, no, I'm like, nah, there's a lot to it. we're going to have to go back and listen to it. <laughs> 
But uh, go to iTunes. Check out our, our page. Give us a little review. Give us a little five-star rating. Or, you know, if you're a four, three, two-star guy I, or gal, like, whatever, bring it. Bring it because, you know, you, it's going to be hard to compete with the hundreds and thousands of other reviews that are five stars. And let us know how we're doing. Text, do we have any fresh reviews to read? Oh, wait, here's one. This is from uh, Dusty Campbell. John, Luke, and Tex are by far the most electrifying podcast hosts in the fitness category on iTunes. Every time I tune in, I don't know what's going to happen first. Are they going to start rapping the Humpty Dance, or are they going to make fun of Luke or Tex or John? Is John even going to be there? Because he's been going on vacation recently. All I know is I'm guaranteed pure, unadulterated strength and conditioning knowledge bombs. I got one quick one. This oh. is from... <laughs> Dusty <Definitely> Camel? <laughs> <laughs> this is definitely a fake name. Jaquez Moorcock. <laughs> <laughs> Premiering five stars. A shorter, stockier Vince Vaughn. A very hairy cybernetic organism <laughs> and an ape in a man suit discuss squats, beef, and obscure 80s, early 90s action films. Five stars again. Now, Jacques, isn't that French for Jacques? Jacques? Did he say Morcock? <laughs> An ape in a man suit. <laughs> who's, I don't know who's who. I'm assuming I'm Vince Vaughn? Or you, Vince Vaughn? I don't know. No, he's Jack Black. Don't you remember? And, and you also missed the robot reference, which, you know, I know we're trying to, like, cut that out of everything. Mm. But I saw the robot reference. Weird Vince Vaughn. I'm thinking, like, more Vince Vaughn and Swingers. Hmm. Yeah. He's like, I'm, I'm getting some weird vibe. She's yeah. She's baby talk. I'll baby take talk. it. Vince, Vance, Vince Vaughn's a handsome man. Oh, you have run into him at a bar. That's true. And offered him a Schlitz. Schlitz. <laughs> Schlitz. And it wasn't a bar. It was the L.A. Farmer's Market. <laughs> and it was at 8 in the morning. <laughs> Did he take it? No, he said he's good. You oh, guys go pussy. do what you're doing. Uh, I'm going to sit here and finish my breakfast if you don't mind. <laughs> did he say like, it like Vince Vaughn? Yes, he did. Like in, in character. <laughs> brilliant. <sighs> Just You're young. Like, but I'm, I'm from Chicago, too. Yeah, so was millions of other people, you fucking moron. Yeah, it's, it's, how it, it's how it felt about two hours after the incident. The right t- after the incident, like, we offered Vince Vaughn a Schlitz. Schlitz, tall boy, eight in the morning. Then you just realize how de- big of a degenerate you presented yourself as. And it was great. And it, well, got that feather in the cap. Mm. And well, if you guys offer Vince Vaughn Schlitz at the L.A. Farmer's Market? At, uh, I don't think uh, anybody's drinking a Schlitz since Farba drank a Schlitz. <laughs> oh, six Schlitz? Let me get six, sh- six Schlitz. In, uh, uh, we don't have that, in, sir. And Super Troopers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, whatever's free. Well, let's stop derailing it, boys, girls, ladies, gentlemen. Give us a review. Give us some feedback. Uh, and then strap yourself in for one heck of a conversation with Justin Kavanaugh. Ready, set, I think that when you look at it, like there's demographics across the globe that produce certain level of athletes because of, you know, genetically where they're from, you know, um, the the demands of their culture, their lifestyle, the mentality, where they come from, um, the mindset. A lot of those things are, are, are factors that people don't even consider in sport. And they're actually quite important. I mean, talent identification in sport is extremely important when you start looking at specific sports and at the Olympic level. Sure. In football, it's a little different because like, you know, there's so many places that you could hide players 
right? And the in the development system, like you could act like a kid, you know. I mean, I went to high school with kids that I would like just just toy with, and they're playing in the NFL, right? And then you watch guys. Some guys are late bloomers. Some guys yep. find their own in different environments. You know, it's always interesting where like the skinny guy. Like I was always the fat kid, you know. So I was always big. I, mean, I was two twenty two thirty in high school going into my junior year. Um, but I tapped out, right? Like I never, I didn't grow out in, you know, be, you know, six foot plus. I, that wasn't my kind of build. And you have other guys that are late bloomers that are six, two, six, three, six, four, but they're 160, 180 pounds soaking wet. They put some muscle, they put some meat on their bones going into a college weight room over three, four years and they're monsters. And they just came, they actually passed biologically. They, they got to that kind of like neurological window where speed coordination and quickness was actually at the peak neurologically because of their development age wise. And yet when they actually then built the, the muscle mass to support the position that they ended up being in, now they have this like freak athleticism. You look at like Trent Williams, he's a monster of a human being. He might be one of the quickest guys that I see. You know, I got a kid, Kendall Calhoun right now. He's, I, I, I introduced him to somebody because, you know, with everything going on, I, I said that he was 6'6", and he smacked me. He's like, you know, I'm 6'7", coach. I'm like, okay, I, I get it. At that point, like, go after yourself. You're too big. But, you know, he's, you know, he's 6'7", 326 pounds right now, and he's super fast, you know? He's super quick. And a lot of that has to do with what other sports did he play, you know, when he was growing up during that kind of like biological window, did he work on these things, coordination skill? If not, was he one of these just big floppy guys that was falling over himself, right? And sometimes those late bloomers actually develop uh, from a timing of window, right, of like an age standpoint in like this perfect sweet spot, right, where they're working on speed, coordination, things that – if they were too big, they wouldn't, they wouldn't work on those things because they would get away with it from a skill standpoint. They would get away with just manhandling a high school kid, right? But a kid that's probably playing a skill position, you know, I've seen a lot of these high school, you know, uh, wide receivers or skill athletes, DNs that then transition into one off of the line and they're monsters because the athletic skill that they have to kind of get out of their stance is so quick. Their punch is so violent, not because of the weight room work that they put in, but because it, it just happened at the right timing, right? Because sometimes if you look at like high school coaches, we're starting to push our strength and conditioning system down, right? It goes from the, the top level and it's pushing down. Whatever happens at the college level is going down in the high school. Whatever's happened at the high school level, parents and athletes want an advantage, so it goes into the middle school level. And you have these kids now that are, they're, they're early developers, so then the coaches, like, they jump on that guy too early, and then they start ruining him a little bit within their strength and conditioning process. They ruin him because they don't teach him the other athletic skills. They don't play any other sports anymore, which gives them, like, diversity and in, in, in a general level of athleticism and awareness. So these are things that I think are missing in today's day and age that if they kind of, if they kind of went back to some of the, the older school stuff, they would actually have a lot more success. They would be hurting less kids. Well, the uh, just uh, I made this observation over a bunch of years. Some of the best football players that I played or played with didn't play football growing up. Like for me, I was I had dreams of being a professional boxer. Like I thought I was going to do that, and it wasn't until I got to high school and my brothers were like, you know, all the cool kids play football that I decided to go play football, and I tended to be pretty okay at it. And then, you know, like we were talking about, like Tony Gonzalez playing basketball, and I mean the amount of guys that I saw that were really good at something else and then transitioned into football. It was kind of the culmination for the guys that I know that were just pure football players. They never seemed to go very far. Yeah, because I think in every, in, in all sport, at the highest level, the biggest difference at the highest level, like the one percenters, it's skill. The ones that have the best skill normally win. And 
you can't possess, you can't create or develop that skill if you don't have the physical skill, uh, physical attributes to be able to, you know, train and develop it. So like, if you don't have the range of motion, if you don't have, you know, the strength to support that technique, then you're not going to be able to develop that technique. But if you rely on your strength, if you rely on your levers to be able to put you in positions, then you kind of get away with not having the best skill. And that what happens in like the development phases is the bigger the athlete, right? The more that they're able to kind of get away with having, you know, lower, you know, quality of skill. And that, and that's, that's unfortunate. Like with a, you know, basketball player transitioning, those skills transfer because the ability to kind of post up and turn and move, jump ball and go get it, it becomes very natural for them. And yet they don't have the wear and tear on their joints the way a football player has wear and tear on their joints. Like a basketball player, they get beat up in their knees in a lot of areas, but it's a different type of beating up. Like their shoulders aren't getting beat up because of, you know, collisions they are getting beat up just because of repetitions and angles. So, you know, you're getting, you're getting beat up because there's a cost of doing business for whatever sport in whatever position you're getting beat up, but because it's something so different as you, when you convert into a sport like football, that will take, you know, a decade literally off your life and probably 20 to 30 years off of your physical life, you know, in regarding like what you could do when you're older. I mean, I've, I've had players basically retire because they said, you know, I'm, I want to be able to lift my kids up one day and they, they can't even lift up their shoulder. They can't wipe their ass. Right. So they've made those kind of decisions because of how, you know, the cost of doing business in sports sometimes is, is physically, you know, to the point where it will change your lifestyle, you know? And, and I think it's almost like that kind of like monkey that's on your back in sport, where it's like the minute you stop, all of these other things pop up, right? Like we're, we're always in the worst shape when we're not playing because sometimes mentally we just kind of grind through some of these things and we're, we're used to like the, the, that pain. And the minute we stop, that monkey jumps on our back and then everything else starts to follow. Right? That's why you got to keep training. This. That's yeah, our whole motto, no man. It, uh, the day you stop training, the wheels fall off. So that's why we still train every morning, same day. Full, full transparency, my, my wheels fell off, you know, a decade plus ago and, and uh, putting them back on is a lot harder. It's a lot, it's a lot easier to keep an old hinge greased than let one get rusty because when you try to fix that, it's ugly and it, it hurts and, and, and you, you find a lot more about yourself. You, you get humbled quick because you just can't recover the way that you were. Um, and that's, that's an interesting kind of like journey that you go on because you're just not the same person internally. You're like, I know what I could do. I mean, I was a high school American. I feel pretty confident about my abilities by no means. You know, one of the things is that people say like, I always had this vision of like playing in the NFL and everyone's like, you know, Oh, you could have done it if this didn't happen in these circumstances, bullshit. Like I'll be the first one to tell you if I wanted to play in the NFL the way I was, then I would have made every excuse um, that was in my head, go away and done it. Because there's a way for you to do it, no matter who and what type of talent you have. In the NFL, it's one of the sports where you could actually figure out a way to organize your body and your lifestyle in an environment where you could actually make it. Because there's some guys on that field right now, talent-wise, that don't have fucking, you know, the talent that, that everyone thinks that they have. It's so it's one of those sports that you could hard work your way into if you understand how to navigate it. You but basketball's not into, one of them. You can fool people into thinking you're athletic. Uh, yeah. And I've, I've been saying it for years, man. Like that was the whole athleticism model I built was because I saw guys who I knew weren't good athletes, but had rehearsed it in such a way and knew, especially playing offensive line, defensive line, could play within the confines of their three yard box and give you the appearance of being athletic. But then the next thing you put them in space, or you put them in something they'd never seen and they would just get fucking exposed. Every every five to seven seconds, you you run five to seven yards in, in football. And, and this is for most positions. That's really what it looks like. Everything else after that is is is, is over, right? 
Um, and it could be over because the guy actually broke loose, right? Or it could be over because the play's over. So, you know, the what what is relevant is what you do within that box, right? And if you're not given the talent, right? Like if you're not born with the height and the speed or the quickness or just like the natural hands and you have a chance to work for it, you could hide all of these other things. You could absolutely hide them. You could hide them through strength. You could hide them through speed. You could hide them through, you know, Conditioning, what you can't hide them with is lack of mental toughness. In the, in the sport of football, you will get broken. You'll get broken in camp, right? So what happens is, is like it's a natural filtering mechanism where they break you before they put you out on the field to get risk, you know, to put that risk out there. And, I mean, the system is set up for that, right? Because they, you know, what happens is, is if you're not, you know, mentally strong, you could hurt somebody else. It's less about hurting you. I mean, most colleges will take a kid on as a walk-on if they could protect themselves. But if you see this kid come in and he can't actually protect himself, they're not willing to take the liability. But if the kid looks the part and he has the tenacity, he has the willpower to want to do it, you could play. You could play Division One football. There, there's an, and these are kids that probably don't even play on their high school team. They have the opportunity to kind of work towards a role in an environment that they don't belong. And you can't do that in, in baseball because it's a skill-based sport. You can't do that in basketball. You know, you could do that in football. There's 11 guys out there that there's an opportunity for you to do. I mean, shit, you could. You could learn to become the best long snapper and you could learn the specific, you could, no, I'm I'm dead serious. I mean, I, I, Lonnie Paxson and and look at the years that they've played and look at the skill. And let me tell you something, try to try to pick up a ball and long snap it with the precise hitting their, hitting their, hitting their pop time and and understand that you got to get your head up and run full speed, 20, 30 yards down the field. And you're the first point of contact. So there's a lot of other things. Like it's not just snap the ball. Like you know anybody could snap the ball and not have pressure on them to get hit. Snap it with thirty thousand fans in there at the college level. Snap it with you know eighty thousand fans, you know in a stressful environment. When you realize that not only do you have to snap it, someone's coming for your head, and you're running full speed down the line, and someone's about to crack you. And if you don't make it, make the tackle, and you, but you you lose your lane. You've just created an opportunity because if you if that guy out kicks your coverage and you're the first guy down there, you just opened up everything. So there's associate there's a, 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 a learning to the game. There's an EQ to football that once you pick it up, you you have the opportunity to really use that to your advantage. I mean, you look at like undersized guys that were super successful, like Zach Thomas, you know, for the Dolphins back in the day, yeah. right? You know, super fast, one of the smartest football players on the field. Like literally, he was so smart. He understand where things were going. He wasn't fast enough. He wasn't big enough to take down. He couldn't take down six five three thirty as a down block at five ten. But then you was, have you know Cato June at a position, man. He was always never out of position. Yeah, no, he was yeah. uh, he was a guy that you knew was always going to be at the point of attack. And strong as shit, yeah. and and not that athletic, but but but, but would never get outworked. Yeah, but, but would never get outworked. The guy worked out his it worked his tail off every other day. You look at Cato June, you know, uh, you know, yep. very athletic guy. But I mean, Cato, you know, I mean, I, I remember like when Cato saw me when I was done playing, and then he met me, and then we, we kind of we saw each other at he took the head coaching job at at a high school locally, you know, probably ten years after my career. And he started kind of laughing. He's like, man, I'll never, I'll never get like you. I'm like, what's that mean? I was like, man, this is coaching body now. And he was just like, no, nah, that can't, that's never going to happen to me. I said, yeah, two years into coaching, man, beer belly, Cato June, right? You know, bourbon and a cigar. I'm like, it, it gotcha. It gotcha quick because he's a freak athlete. Yeah. He's a super smart player. He's a freak athlete. Guy played defensive back at Michigan before he went into the NFL. 
but what he had was just this like speed quickness and this like field vision when you put him into the box right you took a db at the college level and you put him in the box he got there faster than anybody and the ability to do that and learn how to kind of mold you know mold himself to kind of be in that kind of nfl box he goes and plays for the you know indianapolis colts wins a super bowl with them then he goes plays right next you know in tampa bay the next year and he's right next to Derek brooks who's a monster of a human being Derek brooks is a fucking monster and you have cato june who never missed a play always in the right spot understood the game you know, just did the job every single, you know, down and is a freak athlete. You got to give him that. Like he actually is a freak. He's super fast. He's quick, but he just, he just had the game. He understood the game. He understood all of those things. And that's why you could say two guys in the exact same position, totally different body types. So there's a place for you somewhere. Question for, for both Justin and John here, NFL preseason canceled. Now we have that opportunity for, essentially walk-ons, undirected free agents to get their shot, their opportunity, and a lot of sleepers usually, great stories mid-season that get their opportunity. What are we going to lose in terms of this development of said skill, and how does that affect the, the level of play that we are used to at the NFL? For me, I, I actually think that you're going to get more opportunities than less. I think there's going to be more kids that come out because what happens is, is their veterans are going to get hurt. The guys that aren't the guys that aren't like training are going to get banged up and they don't like playing the volume in the earlier parts of the games in the season. Um, so they kind of like work their way into like conference playoffs and things like that. Like so when you start getting in like divisional games, some of the older guys, you'll see like their time actually bump up. But what you'll, you'll see is those guys, uh, you know, get hurt. Uh, you'll see those injury rates go up. The, the injury rates and in regarding numbers and volumes will be down because there's, you know, pure pure numbers. There's much less players. But what will happen is, is they're going to have to bring new guys in. And, and these these teams, you know, and, and, and I love my friends that are college strength coaches and I love my friends that are NFL strength coaches. Um, but they went right into they went right into day one and they put them through literally conditioning test day one. Mind you, they have to be COVID. And then after that, they practice. And that was for almost every every team in the NFL. And, and when I heard this, because I got a lot of players that are in the league and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, that's unbelievable. You know, you got guys post-surgery. You got guys that are coming off of a, a, a longer season. You got guys that are banged up. They have had no prep. They've had no, like, OTAs. They didn't have, like, um, you know, normally right after the draft, they go into OTAs. They, they kind of get, like, um, a little bit of a taste of how out of shape they are, especially when they bring the rookies in and then the vets in. And then they kind of, like, say, okay, all right, I'll get you back to the weight that I need to be. They get an idea of where those coaches want them a little bit. Um, but most of the vets, they know where they need to be. And, and believe it or not, most vets don't like to lift. Like they, they, <laughs> they, they just they kind of get in shape through the season. They get in shape while they're there. Uh, and that's normally how they get hurt um, because they don't do the prep beforehand. So I think it's going to actually open up some opportunities for some undrafted free agents. I think it's screwed this year's college class. So this year's senior college class, those guys are completely screwed. But the guys that were in the XFL and the AAF are bounced in and out. Those guys are going to have some opportunities because they need bodies. The NFL is the NFL is going to need bodies, and because because of COVID, they're not bringing guys in up until I think last week. They weren't bringing guys in unless they were going to sign them. So it's almost like they bring they normally would bring three to four guys in based upon position, right? And they only sign one of them. And sometimes they bring guys in to not let other teams bring them in, <laughs> and they're not doing that anymore because what they're trying to do is they're, they're trying to see where they are in the roster spot. And unfortunately, it's a numbers game, right? So you know, 
they get a guy in a practice squad they want to develop. You talked about like developing some of these players. They get a guy in a practice squad. The worst thing for that kid to do, the young kid that needs it to develop, you know, within their system, is actually get off the practice squad and get onto a roster because someone got hurt. Because once they figure out a a, a trade or once they figure out like a positional adjust a, a, a personnel adjustment, that guy's pretty much cut and he, he's not jumping back on the practice squad. So, because of kind of the way the NFL is set up. Um, it's a little bit unfortunate for the development players, but uh, in this situation, guys that put their time in two, three years ago and then worked in the AAF and worked in the XFL, you're seeing a lot of those guys actually get signed, which is pretty cool. And we've had, we had a number of our guys this off season that, that never cracked an NFL roster that are actually now getting signed because they have some film to work with at the level of play against other guys that they've seen. Um, is it absolutely different? Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to compare the XFL and the AAF to the NFL, the speed of the game, the skill level, right? It's like Alabama, LSU to, you know, a, a lower tier program. There's just a big drop off, right? Their one and two might be the same, but there's a big drop off to everybody else. Is is that just going to, do you think it's going to be a universal approach across all these teams to just like, all right, day one, like you've got some intel, day one conditioning test right into uh, the program. Or do you think some are going to be a little more progressive with the thinking no, of certain personnel? No, the NFL is so smart. rigid, man. They, yeah. um, uh, he hit it right on the head where, uh, you know, especially kids after the draft, they get to bring in players and then they get this kind of whole offseason for them to train. They got OTAs, they got mini camp, they got all these things to kind of adjust. By getting rid of that and having these guys not train, and he hit it on the head, I actually never trained uh, one offseason with, uh, with my team. So they would never give me an off-season workout bonus. So I went down to Tampa and I trained with Rafael. And they'd be like, oh, you missed every OTA or every off-season workout. I'd be like, sure, no problem. What do you want to do? Put me in the conditioning test. And I would win every one. I would run with linebackers in our conditioning test. I would come in. I would do more than anybody else. And uh, I just trained harder. And it was because I knew that they, even though the guys were there, they weren't training as hard as they were if, like, because, you know, well, I got to show up. It's my job. Opposed for me showing up every day voluntarily to go train with Roth. And, uh... The interesting thing, and I, I was, you were talking about the young guys developing. Um, I, so the NFL fucked themselves after the last CBA. So when I went to training camp as a rookie, we had 42 padded practices. Or I'm sorry, we were 42 weeks in training camp, or 42 days in training camp. So we would go pads in the morning, pads in the afternoon, pads in the morning, special teams. And we did that nonstop for 42 days. Dude, I got so much full contact speed playing time, I ended up starting. And uh, now all of a sudden they have like seven padded practices that they can get in their whole training camp. There's no way that these players, and especially offensive, defensive line, and just you know what I'll call like the nine-on-seven crew, the only way you cut your teeth and learn that job is full speed downhill in practice, nine-on-seven, fucking you know, people running full speed at you, people trying to take off heads, like that level of competition. And when all of a sudden you remove that and then you ask those guys to go out on Sunday in the game unis, on their uh, Sunday unis, and go out and play, that's why you see so many rash of injuries. So now you take these guys away from training, you fucking neuter training camp, uh, you bring a bunch of dudes that are basically been sitting around for COVID and now you're going to put them into conditioning tests and get them out there. I think it's going to be a recipe for disaster. And you're right, it's going to be uh, kind of a shitty deal because you're going to watch vets get hurt and they're going to be pulling, throwing kids off the street that they haven't prepped because they haven't had an opportunity to train that offseason. So. But who's, who's out there? And Justin, maybe you can tell us uh, or give some insight. I'm not looking for names. But, like, who's out there saying, oh, this is a good idea? Like Everybody, everybody, everybody that's not freaking – I'm serious. I've done so much consulting. I've done so much consulting to, like, Division I college programs since COVID because they have, like, now the – like, they're, like, kind of craving, like, what do I do? Because these guys – and it's sad because leaderships show up. 
in a time of like, not just adversity, but in time of anxiety for people. Like that's where leaders should show up because their, tr- their job is to kind of bring the level back down, whether it's the right you know, direction of leadership or not. It's their job is to kind of bring the level of anxiety down. If you look at like military, their job is to say, hey, listen, what are you going to do? Bitch about this? You get bullets coming at you. What are you going to do? Bitch about this? We got to go to work today. Like our job as leaders is to show up. And what has happened is, is you're realizing that these guys are not leaders. They're just title consumers. They own this title now. And it's easy to yell, use a whistle and kind of demand a level of authority because of the position, not because of who they are as a person. And that's that's unfortunate. So I've done a lot of consulting. And, and one of the things is like I'm giving them almost clear direction. But when they do these, they've done these Zoom meetings and they jump on with a bunch of like college programs and a bunch of pro programs. They, they talk to each other. Their return to play strategy is like mind blowing to me. It's like, guys, stop. I, do I have to like pause you and say like, are you guys listening to what you're saying? You're saying that you, your kids have not trained at all. You want them on the field at a specific time. And the first thing you're going to have them do is work them back either in a conditioning test or in the weight room. And you're not going to let them work through their skill. You're not going to have them develop their skill at all. It's like, well, you like don't college. get in shape in the weight room and you're not going to be able to do that in the weight room in two weeks. The idea yeah. that you're going to get somebody in shape in a weight room in two weeks is just completely against everything that we know. And it, based upon our experience, forget science for a sec- second. This is not logical. It's hard to get in shape playing football uh, in the off season. I mean, you can get like uh, run as fast as you can, lift as heavy as you can. You get all these things. You show up to training camp. And I'll tell you, dude, when you, you made the, la- uh, the joke about training camp, uh, dude, I loved training camp. And I didn't love it until about the second week. We get about a week in, and when you walk in in the morning and you see, like, some young guy sitting there and it looks like somebody just shit him out. He's got, like, this sad look on his face, like he's bruised and beaten and he doesn't know what he's doing. I would go in and I would, like, feed off of that misery. I'd be like, how you feeling? Oh, God damn it. Let's fucking light this up. And I, I swear to God, I mean, I know it's sadistic, but I would feed off of other people's fucking anguish. And I would just use that as, like, I used to joke and be like, it's like my Bobby Boucher tackling fuel. Like, I want to see how beat down you are. I want to see, be like, oh, college wasn't like this. And guys get hurt and people bitch yeah, no shit. I fucking Yeah, yeah and you're not getting I, paid a half a million dollars to be the worst player in the NFL. Dude, so don't bitch about it. I, I, you're the worst player in the NFL. You're making a half a million dollars and you're not tough. Fuck off. I fucking yeah. Sorry, it, man. Sorry. I, I loved it. And I would go out and look for those dudes and I would just try to light them up. And it, it like I figured like I was like, man, we're getting paid an exorbitant amount of money to beat people's asses and to play football. And people would be upset about it. Or the other thing that blew my fucking mind is people wouldn't train in the offseason. They would show up out of shape. And I'm like, oh, yeah. this is all you do. This is who you are. They don't have another job. No, they, this is it. And you know what? Like, what else am I going to fucking do? I was like, dude, like I, at the time I was single and I wanted to be in good shape to go out and meet girls. And it just so happened that we get to go train and fucking sleep and eat and be a rock star. In Tampa Bay. In Tampa Bay. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, but it was... Um, uh, it was amazing. I'm just realizing you would have been a damn good boxer, by the way, because I just realized you're sitting at this table and this arm is like on Texas, like ear right now. <laughs> and I'm like, Jesus, uh, dude, that reach want... is scary. I got Holy a good crap. I mean, but uh, you, you were talking about late bloomers, man. I was six, four when I went when I graduated high school and then I grew to I'm just like a hair under six, six. I'm like a six, five and seven, eight NFL. Um, so I grew two inches in college. So I was two. Did you play tackle or did you play inside at all? No, I was a guard. Oh, so, uh, so, so, so you're inside swing player. So, yeah, so this is a, a good example, though. So if you're if you're a guard, like when you bring guys in, when you talked about like you actually learn the skill, especially at the at the offensive line and defensive line position, you learn it by actually playing. 
because in most skill, when you look at like development, it's about drilling, right? If you if you think about it, like there's a reason why boxers do pad work. There's a reason why, like, you know, the, the speed bag ain't gonna really get you there, right? It's you know, it, there's levels of it, right? The development, like the heavy bag, and, and then just shadow boxing to you know mitt work to then live sparring or even just to drilling then to live sparring, right? So it's the same thing on, on the football side. Football is a very mature sport, right? So like we actually drill really really well and we drill very fast, but kids hate drilling. Like in general, a lot of kids don't like it. So that's where their complaints come, but that's where they actually get the skill. Offensive linemen, majority of the time, get hurt because they're not on the same page of the guy next to them. Because the yeah. guy, the other guy that when they roll off of them, that guy rolls into his leg or rolls into his knee or rolls into his ankle. The majority of their time, it's never a one on one um, injury. So when you see about offensive linemen getting hurt, that's being on the same page. That's the synergy of it's the unspoken language inside the trenches of where you feel somebody and you just know where that guy is going to be without actually seeing it. You could feel it. And you don't learn that without practice. You don't learn that by getting on the same page as those other guys. So there's no like so, online class that you can well, learn that in. Well, and, <laughs> and the problem is, and he, he makes a great point. If somebody loafs, somebody gets hurt. So, I mean, I, uh, I got my leg broken because we were running a little inside zone down in, uh, we were playing, we were playing in Tennessee season opener. Uh, we were running like an inside zone play. I stabbed the three technique and the tackle supposed to take him over. I'm supposed to go up and get the backer. I stabbed him expecting him to be there. Cause he's always there. I go up, I fucking hit the backer. I'm driving him. He loafs, got off late. The, as soon as I let go of the guy, he swam him, tackled him in the back of my leg and broke my leg. Oof. And, um, and we're watching it on film and it was like, I'm there casted and like, it got real quiet when the play came up and everybody looked at him and he, you know, fucking dude, you just basically ended this, you know, I didn't end my season, but was that, that could con- have, yeah. could have. Was that conditioning or mind space? Like, uh, was it third dude, quarter? It's, accountab- it's accountability. It's accountability, it man. Like, it's truly accountability. It's, it's yeah. because anybody could be able to put, push through the mental stress to get a, to, to do that. Anyone has that mental capacity to actually work through it. I mean, look what moms could do if a kid's underneath a car, they can lift it up. You know, people that never put themselves through, you know, pain, they could actually go through an amazing amount of pain if they actually understood what was there on the other side. Um, in this, in today's like development of athletes, they've lost accountability. They've lost this level of ownership of like, no, you did that and we're going to hold your ass to the fire and say, hey, listen, at the end of the day, that shit's on you. You know, players have lost ownership. They have basically said they've just kind of just said, hey, I know you're coming at me. You're attacking me. You're calling me a name. You're offending me. Listen, I'm not saying any of that's right, but you're going to have a lot worse things happen to you than someone call you a fucking name. Right. Well, and if you can't uh, handle that, they're going to break you from the other side because we're on the same team right now. You know, right. so that other guy's going to do it with a malicious intent. I'm doing it because I'm pushing you. I'm doing it because I want to find out who you are, what's deep inside your soul to see if you got it. The guy on the other end is going to do it with actually true malicious intent. They're going to do it to actually break you, you know, and to hurt, break you with, with a level of harm. So I think that's actually a, a, what has happened in today's day and age is people have just re- removed accountability from the system. I think you it know, comes down to, to sense of a, um, like a like a sense of urgency and I, and it's the same as accountability, but like I had a sense of urgency in everything I did because I knew that if I didn't have that sense of urgency, we would get beaten. Somebody would get hurt. Like it was just like, I mean, he called it accountability. It was like this sense, like, like this urgent fucking scared feeling of sprinting to the line as fast as I can. So I can get into position, start reading the defense. Cause I know that all of these people are depending upon me and these aren't just like 
depending upon you. These are your friends. These are your teammates. We go to training camp. We're watching fucking super troopers. I know their families. I knew their kids. And, like, these dudes are, like, you're, they're your fucking brothers, your best friends. And it's like, I don't want to let anybody down. What if, like, I didn't train hard or I didn't fucking play hard or I decided to take a playoff or I loped and this guy gets hurt? Uh, fuck, man. Like, it happened. Our center, Bubba Miller, I was playing left guard. We came off on a double team and a dude s- tried to split us and I fucking threw them both and it landed on the back of his leg and fucking spiral fractured his ankle. He was out and ended his, it ended his career. And like that, like I was, I had sense of urgency, but I just was like fucking young and I'm going to throw dudes random places. And then you realize you're like, man, if I throw somebody, there's a good chance somebody else is going to get hurt. So now I would absorb that dude. And instead of throwing him, I would just take him for a fucking ride. But you only learn that stuff after people get hurt and the sense of urgency and like this weird. Um, and I, man, so like, is, the, is the lack of these things complacency or ignorance or selfishness? Maybe well, the other a, part is like John, John hits a, it's a great point. That's actually harder to do. For John, it's probably easier to throw that motherfucker. Mm-hmm. It's probably easier to be like, dude, get the shit out of my way. Right, and right. Go. Hold it's a lot harder to control a 300-pound guy who actually wants to hurt you and say, no, listen, you're going to just stay here with me. It's, pre- <laughs> it's a lot easier just to chuck the guy like the, like the, like the, you know, like the, the guy at the bar that says, hey, listen, get out of here. And he just mm-hmm. takes him and chucks him. It's a lot harder to kind of control the guy and nicely put him away. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was Dalton's uh, Roadhouse. That was well, Dalton's principle: be, be nice. nice. If if you watch uh, like a bunch of clips, and you'll see this all the time, man. Like I see young guys doing one on one pass pro, and I was watching it the other day, uh, just on some clips on Instagram. Every one of these dudes, and many gets off, they all want to fucking pancake the dude. And I kind of laughed a little bit, where I'm like, man, uh, that's the the pattern that you're creating and trying to like throw a dude to the ground. But the problem is, is everybody sets back. You have quarterbacks, you have running backs, yeah. checkers you, versus chess. Dude, deal. You have all of these people. And as you know, um, and I've told you guys numerous times, uh, the one secret to being surviving the NFL is don't play on the ground. The dudes that fall down and are on the ground a lot. Like I, I remember a young guy coming in and uh, he just kept falling down. And by like the third play, I told the coach, I'm like, get this motherfucker out. He can't stay on his feet. I'm going to get hurt. He's going to get fucking people hurt. And they yanked that dude. So you have to be yeah, able to call fit. the Jersey test. Yeah. You got to play on your feet and finish every play on your feet. And if you fall down, you got to get back up as fast as you can because people will trip on you. People will fall. People will get hurt. Dudes to play on the ground. Don't play. And like that's. I mean, that's a real deal. So when I was watching these college kids all trying to fucking torque and pancake in this, and I'm like, dude, I'm like, yeah, that looks great in a highlight film, but that dude, you're not going to get a fucking job because you keep throwing people to the ground. They're going to call holds. They're going to make it look, dude, you have to be able to do this job violently in such a way that people think like, you know, like you shoot your hand and you catch like the inside of his jersey and like pull him down or catch the face mask, like do all these like really little cool integral things within the fucking framework. All of a sudden these dudes are like grabbing on the outside and doing shit. And I'm like, Who's teaching these kids? They don't know how to punch. LaCharles Bentley. Let Le- <laughs> <laughs> me get me fucking started on that nonsense. Well, now you just brought me up a question. I got a question to ask you. What's the worst thing you did to somebody under a pile? Because you just look like a, you look like a guy. Oh. You look like, I'm, I'm going to lift up your chin and hit you yeah. in your throat because you're, you're doing some nasty uh, stuff. He, but, but I can I, see it on his face right now, guys. For I you never, guys who can't see it, uh, he looks like that guy. <laughs> I never did it under a pile. Uh, so, so for me, a big one that I would do is I would always punch my hand and I would let it slide up and I would try to push the helmet off. And then I would come with a fist to the side of the neck. Um, I, I was playing against actually a buddy of mine, a buddy of mine, defensive lineman for San Diego. And I noticed that he had a big like Don Joy brace on his elbow and he had obviously hurt it. And um, I kind of slow played him and I knew that he liked to throw a big kind of club on the inside. So I kind of slow played his club and I kind of evened up. And as I waited for it, I kind of wrapped him this way. 
and then leaned back and started running and basically fucking jumped and hyperextended it and put him out of the game. And he was one of my buddies. And he was like, what the <laughs> fuck? I was like, ah, dude, I just turned. Don't be wearing that big brace, bitch. Yeah, no, like, even if I had an injury, I was like, don't tape it up. Like, I never wanted mm-hmm. to have anything like that because guys would go after it. Uh, Warren Sapp poked me in the fucking eye. Um, knocked out mm-hmm. my contacts. So I kicked him in the balls. So I got fined like fifteen grand for that. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a <laughs> That's another example. Shit. Like Warren, I, I remember watching him when he was in college um, uh, extensively. Super fast, like great hands, quick feet, super athletic, big guy. It's another one, man. But like John, you're the John the throat puncher. That's what we got to do. <laughs> yeah. We got to get you. We got to get shirts made. Uh, dude, uh, so so Sap's move we used to call the Matrix. So what he would do is he would kind of give you a whole bunch of this. And then as you went to do it, he had the ability to kind of like melt away with his steps. And I watched him do this same deal. He would start with his uh, outside foot up. He would take a step and he would like give you all this forward motion. And dudes would think he was coming on a bull rush and they would fucking go into him. And then he would like matrix his shoulder and fucking slip slide these guys. I watched him beat so many good Hall of Fame legitimate guards with that same fucking garbage move. And I remember watching it and being like, no, I'm not getting this. So all I did was I kind of would short set him, throw my hand, and as soon as I saw him dip his shoulder, I would just set vertical. And then he would matrix, and he'd be like four yards away from me, and I'd be like, I'm over here. And uh, Agent Smith. Oh, uh, dude, it, it, was, it was such a good fucking move. But like, what I was amazed by was how many guys he got. And I remember thinking, like, holy shit, people aren't watching film. Like we, like, uh, you know, I played with Will Shields and uh, um, Casey Wigman and Willie Rofe. I mean, I played in the Kansas City with what's considered the best offensive line in pro football. Um, and I remember we used to watch film with those guys. I mean, we had a mandatory 10 to 12 hours a week of film. We had an hour in the morning, hour after. We had to get our 12 hours in. And uh, I remember thinking, like, I remember asking Will one time, I'm like, you think people aren't watching film? He's like, nobody watches fucking film. It's crazy. You know, did you play with Mark Seminole? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Real well. Oh, that's my guy, man. He's yeah. awesome. That's yeah, a great example of like an un, like a un, like a guy who's just not talked about, um, and actually a great coach, man, great great trainer, guy does an amazing job with like developing athletes. Yeah, he's a and he's a great he's a freak, you know. Yeah. He's like, you he's know, it's a, funny because he's like, a Jack White dude, man. I I always kept an eye out for Jack White dudes. He's fast, man. He ran. I think he ran like ten four ten six in high school. Yeah, in the hundred, like he was lightning fast. Yeah, yeah. No, Simino was a good dude. And I mean, still is a good dude. I, I, I remember at some point he reached out. Um, I fucking hate talking about people in past tense because I, I remember. But I like the problem is you take this snapshot of them as NFL players. And I'm sure for me, people talk about me in the past tense, too. And it's like, no, no, no we're still here. We're still alive. <laughs> you ain't gone yet. Yeah, yeah, ain't no, gone no. yet. When so. I went to Tony's Hall of Fame deal, uh, we were at the bar and like Dick Vermeil and uh, I got to see everybody. And I remember uh, uh, Dick's like, man, uh, you look like you could still play. If I was still coaching, I'd totally sign you. I was like, fuck you. I'm too old. <laughs> hey, Justin, you know, you, like, you know you like that feeling, though. Oh, Don't tell, easy, tell everybody yeah. you like that feeling. That's well, like, that's like, walking, like, oh, that's like walking into a bar and, and a girl looks at you uh, nowadays and you're like, oh, fuck it, man, I still got it. Still got it, baby. Yeah. Uh, My Justin, wife would be like, yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> Justin, I want to go back to something you said earlier on, um, you know, like I think you called it you know, in the old days versus now and how kids are kind of early specializing or, coach, or coaches and parents are eagerly getting their kids training earlier or in probably specializing earlier, right? Do you think that there is, uh, you know, if, is there a happy medium between this, right? So there's like right now, here's what, parents and coaches I think are trying to do with young kids and be intentional and mindful to develop them for the sport but what they've kind of swung too far right and then back in the day it was just kind of like oh let these kids play and it kind of happened organically for some kids 
do you think that there's like this happy medium where there's a mindful, like, spe- um, decentralization of skill? Like, the, the intentionally decentralizing a skill for kids to get them the most exposure to different types of activities at some point, eventually converging to the focused skill. There's a couple things I'm going to say. Like, first one is like, at the end of the day, you want your kids to be happy and healthy, right? So not every kid wants to play sports. I believe that sports is my platform. Like, whereas a teacher has a classroom, a pastor has a pulpit. Like, I believe that, you know, sports provide me the opportunity to teach life lessons. And I can do that and I can empower people in a way that that fits my personality, right? Like, I'm probably not going to be super nice to you, but it's like, you know, this is a very, it's very comfortable for me in, in the world of sport to say, I'm a competitor and, I, and it's okay to do your best. It's okay. And, and in nowadays, the culture is such that, you know, doing your best and winning and being successful is like a bad thing. Like now all of a sudden you got in trouble for, you know, you know, going balls to the wall. It's like, hey, you got to calm down over there. Like, that's the last thing I want to do to somebody because that person, if you take that skill and you put it in, in into something outside of sport, is going to be the one that runs a business and whoops someone else's ass, right? You know, and it's like, I think that there's, I don't like I don't have a problem with trainers and coaches, but until you start talking about speed or until you start talking about athletic development, like I want to be the best in the world. And that's a that's a big ego statement. But it's like that's the only thing that's going to drive me to see what other people are doing and find out better ways to do it. And and I I've made a lot of mistakes in my career working with athletes. And I like kind of look back and go, I got to be honest with myself. I got to debrief what that mistake was and try to figure out how did that happen at the moment or did that happen, you know, in my conversations with uh, with the athlete or with the parent or with the other coaches, you know, weeks or months or years before where I could have done something different. And that kind of pursuit of excellence is, is lost. Right. And to your question, what I think is wrong is I think the actual, what people consider to be the best right now, or what people consider to be the, the right uh, model for athletic development is, is pretty bad. I mean, it, when I say it's pretty bad, I think it's horrible. Um, I think that when you walk into a college weight room and you see that there's 120 kids doing the same program and you, you see their techniques in which they teach that it's, that there's a pride uh, to, to the louder you yell, the more that you could control the room, um, the worst technique that you have, the more weight that you could load on the bar is the standard, right? Is the problem. Cause if you start measuring things um, by metrics that don't actually provide true transfer or they provide a, a negative byproduct, then what's the point, right? Like, so the point of measuring, so like testing is one thing, monitoring is like a daily thing, but if our testing, right, doesn't correlate to better performance, then what's the point of the test? And we have a system, like I built a business off of NFL combine training and, and running fast in the Olympics, right? The NFL combine doesn't correlate to a better football player, but it's the job application. So I, you have yeah. to like understand that's the cost of doing business. So in every one of these stages, there is kind of like an interview process, whether it be the high school combine level at the, the college or the NFL combine level, there's a um, an interview process that doesn't necessarily correlate to a better transfer of sport or a better transfer of play. We have those same things that are not official or formal in the development of athletes where a parent will walk up and say, I want my son to have this V load coming out of the you know batter box because this other athlete has it, right? They think they got that by way of weight room, or they think they got that by way of a technique that this particular coach taught them. So then that becomes their their model to develop that athlete's you know bat velocity coming out of out of the, out of the box. 
But in reality, that's not what's going to work for that athlete. So as a, as a, as a system, as a, as a culture, we've accepted the standard for athletic performance and development to be, you know, whatever is having the success today. And they don't understand like how there was success, you know, built from that. Like the best college strength coach is the one who wins the national championship. And in reality, the guy who should be getting the award is the recruiter that recruited those kids yeah. in high school. Well, I, I was going to say the yeah, the best is the guy that can get the best athletes. I mean, I've, dude, I've long said, like, don't look at NFL strength coaches or uh, Alabama and these guys for programming or for really understanding. Like, when you get the world's best athletes, shit, they can go play the fucking snare drum for 30 minutes and uh, still probably go win the national championship. Like, I so knew, I think the yeah, – yeah, go ahead. No, I knew NFL players – that the only way they weren't going to play in the NFL is if they got hit by a bus on the way across the, you know, to the facility, like they were predestined to be there. And the only way they were going to get there is if they got killed. So. And to that point, what we're seeing is the majority of these programs at the college level, at the, at the pro private sector and pro sector, because at the private sector, it's a little frustrating because some people like they gravitate to their, their, their trainer that they really just want that guy to actually give them hard work, right? Like make them sweat, make it look like they sweat for Instagram so they could show up a certain way, but it actually, they're diminishing their career. They're actually making them their, their, their total years of their career less. And you're seeing guys get banged up and they don't understand why, like people don't follow the sport. I mean, if you look at an offensive lineman, like you get a, like, I, I, I can literally look at trends in the industry and then start identifying what college is gravitating to that trend. And then now which players are going to get hurt when, you should not be able to do that without seeing those people. And the fact that we could do that by just watching what's happening, like just like seeing it happen, that's bad because you should not be able to identify those injuries by, without looking at the person's body. So what, what are some of those trends? So, I mean, let's just use the example of offense alignment, right? So if you look at like the FMS, for example, and I don't know your opinion on it and I don't have, you know, uh, anything for or against, but I have a problem with what they're representing in the sense of like how this is going to help an athlete become successful on a football field. If you look at like, like, you want thoracic extension, right? And every, like you want an athlete to be, be healthy. If John decides to take a, a D lineman and come on him and he can't do this and like lock in to flexion and lock in to where his back's here, he doesn't want to have everyone shows you position of an offensive lineman where their chest is up and there's this huge extension and arc in their back. If their back cracks, like you would in a mobility drill, like they would want to have that, that range of motion. If that happens, they are more likely to get hurt. It is as simple as that. They need to build the, the musculoskeletal structure to support himself for this position, which once they're like after point of content, it's fixed. Mm-hmm. Right. So, but he can't training an athlete. squat. So he's not an athlete. Yeah. Right. Like <laughs> well, that's, right, that's right. ridiculous. It, it's, um, it's, it, it's super similar to boxing. I remember seeing guys box that were what we call stiffs, you know, that had obviously lifted weights and they were real upright and mobile. The guys that were uh, good boxers were usually really strong in the trunk and super mobile in their upper back. They could change in positions. They had good hip mobility. They could move in space. I mean, same thing with offensive linemen, that ability to be able to push that first meaningful touch on a guy and then be able to move uh, in concert with where he's going is what it is really what it goes down to. And what you're talking about is like that overextended fucking extension position where they're like 
like robots. Dude, those guys, one, they couldn't fucking, as soon as they punched, their feet stopped. And two, they could never play off of the angles. And they were stiffs, and that's what we called them. That guy's a fucking stiff. Cut them. Mobility without stability is a little bit of that, too. Yeah. Well, the other one, too, is um, especially when you punch, like, it's just like boxing, right? So you have to have, like, a loose hand. So as you lose hand, and then at the last minute, that task-specific tension that you need to fucking knock a guy out. The problem is you have these guys that would, like, punch like this. And I always thought about, like, loose, fast hands being able to snap into it using compensatory acceleration to drive through a person. And then, like, everybody was always fucking like this. And I'm like, dude, you got to almost, like, be able to, like, go on and off and on and off. And if you get hit, you got to go Gumby. And it's just, like, a, a really interesting and task-specific tension is what I try to teach people or at least talk to them about it. But these guys get so fucking over and they just look like stiffs. And, and you see that transfer in every sport, right? So if you look at boxing, right, you talked about this ability to kind of like rate of relaxation, right, to let yeah. your hands go and then actually contract. You talk about it with that first contact point in offensive defensive players. Like they get off the ball and then they, at collision, it, they're stiffen up, but then they have to relax to move. Um, speed, it's the same thing. It's like a strobe light. It's the ability to turn your lights off and on and off and on. Like I'm a big flexibility guy. I want guys to have great range of motion, for, for, you know, a great you know do a job of stretching and reduce some tension but the majority of injuries happen not because of uh, lack of flexibility the majority of injuries happen because their their ability for them to turn things on and off that contraction is what actually creates the tension that makes things uncomfortable that that, that has that stiffness and then something gets pulled um so there's a lot of other factors in play if you look at like a hockey athlete right they're running they're, they're on the ice and they're going full speed and right before they hit somebody they're super relaxed and then Bam, they lock up, they tighten up, they hit that person, and then they let it go. And it's the same thing when someone's coming at you, right? It's like you're doing a skill, you're working on a puck, and then the guy goes to hit you, and boom, you just kind of brace uh, with a, just the, with a very violent like mechanism to like lock everything in. And that can be trained, right? Is it intuitive in regarding the, the, the vision of the game, right? Depending on the sport, is it, um, is it something that you pick up in regarding better timing? Absolutely. But the intensity of it, right? And the, and the ability to do that repeated over over the, the term of the sport is something that you could actually train and you could and you could entrain the, the you could train the intensity of that you could entrain the duration of it um, and it needs to be very specific you train it specifically by doing the skill though you could train a little bit of like those the qualities in the weight room you could train a little bit of those qualities in training and practice but you actually get really really specific right if you look at kind of a continuum, you know, from general to specific, general is going to be weight room practice training here. And then this more specific stuff to that kind of rate of relaxation is going to be in the practice, in the actual sport itself. Um, and it, it's getting so specific in actual in game because in game creates the velocity in grade creates the anxiety in game creates the kind of like adrenaline rush that is needed because there's pressure on you. Right. You know, like John was talking about, like, you don't want to let another guy down. Right. In practice, that isn't always in your head, but in game, it absolutely is. Mm -hmm. So there's a level of pressure. There's interesting things, and we've been bouncing around topics here, but I think that's been really good. One of the things that's interesting is the guy wakes up, they go to practice, or the guy wakes up and they go to a game. And on Sunday, in the NFL, you have guys that, if they have one bad snap, that could be the last time they're playing in, in an NFL jersey. And then you have other guys that, they're collecting a paycheck. They're pretty much set. There's so much invested into them. They know who they are. They could make, they could make or miss some plays, and they're going to be just fine. And 
that kind of that storyline that is told to that person in themselves every single day for them to show up a certain way is what kind of like creates um, a belief system. It creates the culture of, uh, of a team. And that's the stuff that I think is missing, you know, because so, some, so many people aren't talking about that. And I think it's so valuable to understand that. Like there's guys that teams don't have investments in and they're going to have to beat somebody out every single play. And if you took that mentality to everybody, to do their job and have a level of accountability would be unbelievable. You know, when I hear music like this, I can't help but think about every cheesy 80s action movie ever. There's just something so great about how clearly fake every fight scene and workout montage is. And what's funny is the approach of creating sexy cut-ups of bullshit workouts with highly questionable application actually exists outside 80s movies and is more prevalent than ever. Well, like terrible 80s movies, there's so much training garbage out there to sort through these days. And while entertaining, it's scary to think that some people are actually falling for it. Think of the pyrotechnics in Commando or the over-the-top use of body oil in the movie Over the Top. Is it possible that they're trying to distract us from the completely unrealistic plotline? Kind of like a sexy-looking program with virtually no performance transfer? This is exactly why Power Athlete has been battling the bullshit for over a decade. The research, testing, and retesting that the coaches at Power Athlete HQ have done to create athletic training programs like Field Strong and Bedrock is unparalleled. We chose to further refine our templates to create Grindstone, Jack Street, Lean Enable, and Hammer because we know that specific goals require specific stimuli. Okay, here's where the shameless plug comes in. A lot of work goes into developing the absolute best program and user experience possible. Just ask our partners at Train Heroic, who have been with us every step of the way and are equally dedicated to empowering your performance as we are. They are relentless when it comes to ensuring that your journey to self-improvement is propelled by the absolute best technology. When you join a Power Athlete program on Train Heroic, the first thing you should do is take a giant sigh of relief. Seriously, because now you're in the hands of founder and 10-year NFL veteran John Wellborn and his team of world-class coaches. And for less than a dollar a day, you've just become part of a community of like-minded folks who all want the same thing, performance. And if this whole 80s movie metaphor thing makes no sense to you because you were born after 1990, simply substitute Star Wars episodes 1 through 3. Who has the time or the patience for an all-show, no-go imposter program? Head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to empower your performance today. Now back to the show. So big guy, when you were ba- going back a little bit to the story you were talking about of like, I feel like text, there's a, 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 a scary movie character who would feed off of people's fear. Is that the Chupacabra from no. the or scary that, movie or no, you're talking about the Dementors from uh, Harry Potter? Maybe I've never seen a Harry misery. Potter. Yeah. So, so I like oh, within, fucking I loved it. Too. So within the framework of training camp in young guys coming into the league, like that's that is such a priceless experience for that dude to be uh, at dude. the very bottom and then have somebody ramp up and come down hard on him. It's the uh, essence of iron sharpens iron. So had, did any of those dudes like end up yes. thanking you for like, Hey yeah. man, like, you know, if you didn't fucking well, push my shit in when I was down and out. Well, no. Um, so there's, 
like let me set the stage on here like you walk in like you, have, you know people at breakfast it's some shitty breakfast you go up and you know young guys or injured athletes get to the training facility earlier and then they walk in uh, I would always go in I'd do like a little bit of contrast kind of stretch out a little bit get my ankles taped which was fucking awful try to get it done as early as possible because you know we've talked about the fact that you know somehow locking my ankle in position was the worst thing ever and then we'd go in and I'd get dressed and I would see these dudes sitting there and they just look sad and I'd be like oh fuck this is gonna be a great day <laughs> and we would go out there and as you walk out of training camp it's like you know 7 30 7 45 a little before eight all of a sudden you hear the cicadas the smell of cut wet grass is like like I could fucking taste it like I like I know the smell and you go out and you hit the field and you don't walk like I, I had a deal I never walked on the field so you just take off running and you just kind of stretch out you do a little bit of your technique work like hey I'm gonna do punch and slide make sure my hips are warmed up do a little bit of punch and then go get a drink of water and wait for practice and I would see those dudes come out and I'd be like he's my guy today and I would always tell the young guys because um, you know in practice they would struggle and hear and I'd always be like hey man anything you need me to teach you or anything that you see that I do that you need help with I will teach you everything. And I would always spend time after practice helping them on their technique in this. And I remember a guy being like, Don't, aren't you worried that they're going to beat you out one day if you teach them all this stuff? I'm like, no. <laughs> Never in a million years. And if they can take my job, I probably shouldn't fucking be here. And I, and I always told them, man, the day that I can't do the job anymore, I'll fucking ride off into the sunset, which I did at 10 years. And I remember like watching those young guys, and it was cool to actually see those young guys grow and, and come on and, and be players. Because what people don't realize is that as an offensive lineman, you can usually play both sides. I mean, I played guard, I played tackle, I played all this. Like, what if somebody goes down and you have to depend upon that dude and I didn't spend the time developing sure, him? Sure, yeah, put him in like, the grinder, sure. Well, I told you the story about Trey Thomas. Do you remember Trey? Uh, played at the Eagles with me. Trey Thomas was like 6'7", I, I don't seven, know personally, but he was a stud. I mean, he was massive. Yeah, he was massive. Uh, yeah, Trey, was massive. Um, we had a deal. We were going down to play Miami, and Trey was supposed to play against Jason Taylor, and this is when Jason Taylor was fucking on his, on his heater. And uh, all of a sudden, we go down there. Everybody's good. We show up first bus. We're getting ready. All of a sudden, I don't see Trey. I'm like, where the fuck is this dude? He comes walking in on the third bus, which is when all the injured guys show. And uh, I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I left guard. He's my left tackle. I'm like, what the fuck? And he's like, my back's hurting me. I ain't playing today. And I'm like, what? When the, when the fuck did your back hurt? It, I was laying up in the room, and my back hurts. I don't want to play. So I fucking go get the offensive uh, one, our offensive line coach. I'm like, this is fucking bullshit. We're going to play against Jason Taylor, and this motherfucker don't want to play. They go in there, and like Juan comes back out with Andy Reid, and he's like, looks at me, and he's like, Trey ain't playing today. Artis is going to play. So Artis, who was our backup like swing guy, who um, I used to call armpits for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> but I was like, he comes over, and he's fucking scared. He's like, dude, uh, first NFL start, left tackle against Jason Taylor in Miami. And, uh, like, they're, like, you know, we're all kind of sitting around. Andy Reid's there, and Juan's like, what do we do? And I was like, we're going to go two-jet, and we're going to slide to him. We're just going to keep fucking sliding. We're gonna, we, we don't want to put uh, – we're going to put Runyon on the island. We're going to let him slide, slide, slide. And I remember uh, telling Artis on the first two-jet, I was like, hey, man, I want you to overset him. And he's like, okay. So he sets him nose, oversets him. Jason Taylor comes inside, and I broke Jason Taylor's rib. Left the game. Didn't play the rest of the game. And we went on and won. Artist got the Sorry? fucking artist got the game ball, and you, <laughs> and you know what? That piece of shit didn't give it to me. <laughs> Just fucking took it. Oh, that's cold blooded. And didn't give me the fucking game ball. Where's he at now? 
I don't know. I hope he has Let's his fucking game ball and look, I don't get my, text, get my game ball. Get this but guy. Trey, it, would, it would look good. It would look good on that backdrop right there. Like if you think, there yeah, really is an empty spot couple, right there. I got side. a bunch of my game balls up in the deal. We could put them around here. Yeah. But um, uh, I was thinking we just get Jason Taylor's rib. And <laughs> Dude, uh, I, I wish I had a fucking camera when I made Madden's horse trailer. And the picture, like, I don't have, like, somebody took the fucking picture, and I've never been able to find it. Didn't have a cell phone camera at the time. I had a picture of Madden with his fucking my face on his horse trailer. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, man, that was an example of a dude who was making $10 million a year, world-class, 6'7", 350 pounds, fucking first-round draft pick, all these accolades. Pampered. And fucking the day, like, he, uh, like, he, he must have seen something. Or, I mean, Jason Taylor, that was a year that he had, like, 15 sacks. And they, he was going to break the record. But apparently Trey Thomas is Florida State, first-round pick, yep. 11th pick overall. So maybe it was his return man. to home. and Dude, it was a bad nervous. deal, man. It was, uh, but, yeah, that was, um, like, there was a million stories like that. But that's just one example of, like, you see people do some shit where you're like, man, that's so far out of character, you know? Well, yeah, I think there's there's so many other factors that come into it, but I think you know going into the that conversation around pain, like the, a lot of pain, and I'm not going to say pain superficial because I've been through. I mean, I've had neck surgery, I've had you know, three knee surgeries, I and mean, I know what pain is. But pain in those situations, a lot of that is like psychosomatic. It's anxiety. It's it's the worry, and then you start to tense up, and it gets worse and worse and worse. And it's like at a high level, like you got to learn to like downregulate that. You got to learn to kind of get into your your, your space, and it's. For me, it's, you know, whether you put a, a face mask on, whether you put the gloves on, whether you start running, whatever the sport is for whatever, for, for whoever the athlete is, sport is a safe space, right? People could be dealing with, you know, everything going on. I mean, the, the world right now is crazy, right? And it's a, it's a 90 minute, two hour, you know, time of the day where whether you come, wherever you come from, like, up, your, you know, your upbringing, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, you could be, you could be family of a millionaires you could be a poor kid like you're all equals i don't care who you are you're all equals and they you're showing up to basically compete at your best and it's also like all of those worries and stress go away i mean i don't know about you but like i don't i i remember certain moments in my life where i i had so much on my mind where when i was playing i was still thinking about that i did not play well right but the best games are when a lot of things were going on in my life and when i was on there like that was like the escapism that was when, you know, sport is like during those moments, I don't have time to be worrying about family stuff. And that's a, it's a good place to be. I think that's what's needed in our society today. It's what's needed for kids. It's what's needed for um, accountability and culture. I think that's what stuff that's real that people don't talk about. You know, what sport does for kids, it's basically, it's, it's giving the power back to the kid for them to kind of be excellent, to be the best they can. Um, and so that's what weight room does to a kid that's not athletic. The weight room gives the kid power again, because you could take someone who's not athletic. The weight room is one of those things that is so honest. Like I get guys for the NFL comedy, they come to me and they're like, Oh, I've been training hard and I'm working my tail off. Yada, yada, yada. They get underneath the bench. They do it four times at 225, and they're an offensive or defensive lineman. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Cause you can't lie about that. You can't basically say I'm good and I'm training. Like, no, you're not like now. And I know guys that don't look a certain way. Like they don't, they don't look jacked. But you get them underneath the bar and you can tell that they work their butt off because that shit doesn't just happen overnight. Yep. So it's, the things that you can't hide, right, are things that, you know, I think sport provides. It, it provides an environment to where we could actually do that stuff. And, you know, we could start talking about training. We could start talking about all that stuff. But what we can't we can't fix is lazy. You know, I think the discipline of showing up every day actually instills um, a level of, uh, of accountability because lazy kids that play football, they actually – 
there are, there's a lot of lazy ones and they actually learn to, to still show up. I mean, some of the best players are lazy because that fits their personality. I mean, you look at track athletes, track athletes are notoriously lazy, you know, um, and they just sit down all day and do nothing. And then they run hundred meters and that's fine. And they don't want to work hard. They don't, they want to work fast and efficient and get out of there. Right. The last thing they want to do is be out of track me all day long. And part of those, part of those things, you know, who guys like to, the guys that like to do that are discus throwers, you know, cause they're like, Oh, cool. This is like the one thing that they get to do. And you know, sprinters aren't like that. So, you know, there's, there's different personality types that fit different positions. Um, you know, smartest guys on the field are offensive linemen. My favorite football player growing up is Dwight Stevenson. It's my favorite football player of all time. Most people don't even know who he is hall of famer played for the dolphins. You know, was was on Bear Bryant's team with the with Alabama. Not many people grow up with their favorite football player being a, being a center, right? And it was just like the way he played the game. He was undersized. He was so technically sound. You know, I mean, the guy was mean on the field. I mean, he had an absolute light switch, light switch off the field. Dwight Stevenson's might be one of the nicest people I've ever met in my entire life. Like, I couldn't even like try to be like him. He's just such such a nice human being, you know. And on the field, he was mean. And there's, there's something that there's something to look up to there. And there's something to say, like, if you're a certain type of kid, like you could become whatever you want in the sport of football. Whereas, you know, again, when you look at talent identification in other sports, that's not the case, you know, football, you could, you could train yourself into a football player with your, with your combine classes. Is this something you screen for? That's the beauty of a private facility. You get to pick and choose the kids that you bring in. So are you screening for that lazy during your talent identification? Yeah, I look for football players. I, like, on, like, so where? So when I first started my career, yeah. So when I first started my career, I was getting first, second, third round guys. Like, I didn't. I was in Miami. It was the guys trusted me. So like, I started my career by, you know, a kid basically saying, "Cab, you're training me." I'm like, what, what do you mean I'm training you? And he's like, "Look, I trust you." And he just got. Uh, he found out that his agent and his his trainer and manager were stealing from him. So it was like was this Rosen? Kid, like, was this Rosen? <laughs> funny story about. Yeah. I got plenty of stories about Drew. Well, you said um, you're in Miami, no, it, and I was wondering because uh, I know yeah, Shocky and the guys, and like I know Drew, and like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got oh, I got a lot of stories about that. Yeah, but um, Drew actually helped me start my pricing point. Like from a business, he's like, you know, you're charging. Like I was like, what? He's like, what do you charge? I'm like, I don't know, forty bucks, you know, twenty. And he's like, you're charging 75. So then I gave him a bill and he goes, you don't charge me 75. (laughs) 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 You literally just told me what to do because I had a a few of his clients. Uh, And now, you know, it's funny because like Drew is uh, obviously has made it and been very successful. I think he has to pay for a lot of plastic surgery every year. So he's got to keep working. Um, Burn bands off. (laughs) Uh, Fact. Sorry. um, So anyways, uh, um, what's, what's interesting is where those guys are now is a very, very different place. But back then, these guys, like, there wasn't a lot of training companies. There, there really wasn't. And um, it was easy because I got a lot of good athletes because it was like, you call a kid from Wisconsin, you call a kid from Minnesota, like, you know, where do you want to train, right? Solid gold. Yeah. It's like, I'm, I'm 10 minutes from the beach. I'm right there in Miami. Let's go to work. So I built my career off of trust, but also the location didn't hurt me. And it also didn't hurt me the fact that I was an athlete and I worked out with them and they trusted me. But that was early on. So I was getting first, second, third round guys. And then I, I kind of got a knack for guys that I trained. I trained some of them in high school. Or I knew some of their coaches and they said, Hey, give me the cab if they've kind of screwed up. So I had guys that had a little bit of rap sheets, like guys that had, they, they did some dumb stuff in college. Right. Um, and so I kind of built a knack for getting guys that were 
they, they, they had some choice uh, decisions. And, um, I, you know, I believe that kind of sport, you know, teaches you a lot about life quickly. Like you grow up really quickly in sport because you're, you're, you're on, you're on a platform at 18, 19 and 20 that you don't deserve to be on. Right? You, you got to be super mature to actually handle that. And, and there wasn't a lot of training. Like there wasn't a lot of media training back then. So anything that you did could really slip up, but you also, there, it wasn't as there wasn't such a, a, a microscope on you and regarding like what they did with the schools. Like there's a lot of schools that were giving kids stuff that they shouldn't be giving them. Right. Everyone broke the rules. And when you get guys that get used to that and that's level of entitlement, what ends up happening is they go and make bad decisions. Right. And, and I'm saying it's right or wrong, but they did that. So I, I got a knack for basically kind of rehabbing guys uh, that were good football players, but their stock dropped because of their character. And they knew if they met, if they sent them to me, I was going to, you know, if you wanted to go to work, if you wanted to fight, if you wanted to kind of, you know, have it out, like I was okay with that. Like I had no problem with that, you know? So I was good with those, those athletes. And then, then I got tired of that a little bit and I started working with guys that had injuries. So I was kind of rehabbing guys that like, you know, tore their ACL, broken their foot, had a shoulder issue and I would rehab them and like give them a shot. Now I was now probably for the last probably five or six years, probably even longer now, probably eight. I've been really looking at really good football players that are under the radar that don't necessarily, you know, fit the bill on the draft day because of maybe what school they went to. So like, I'm really big at looking at like the CAA, right? Like division one, double a guys. So I, I mean, at, at one point, I think for like five years in a row, I had like a, a Richmond kid make it to the NFL. Right. And, um, you know, get a lot of JMU guys, uh, get a, you know, get a lot of guys that are like under the radar at smaller schools um, that, they need to have a good combine. They absolutely need to have a good pro day because their football film's amazing, but they don't, they don't, they don't check all of the boxes. So they have to pop off. And when you, when, when I look for football players, I look for guys that are checking the box at the NFL level in football so that all I need to do actually is get them, get their, their interview spot on. I just need to get their interview. So if this kid basically jumps through the roof, he hits all the measurables, he's going to get a look because his film's amazing. And it makes my job easier when you try to turn these guys into weight, uh, you know, workout warriors, and you try to turn these guys into combine kings, but they're not necessarily um, football players. That's too much work to do. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if in eight weeks I could take somebody that in four years wasn't a good football player and make them a good football player because there's no evidence of them being a better football player by the time that combine's done because they're not playing another game. But if I take somebody in four years that maybe didn't have certain physical qualities and I could kind of hide certain things and showcase certain physical qualities on a pro day and have them measure amazing. And they look back at their film and they're incredible. I think that that is more realistic. You know, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to do something that a high school program and a college program couldn't do in eight years. And I'm trying to do it in eight weeks, which is get them to run fast, jump high and lift, lift heavy. And they're already football players. If I have to turn them into a football player too, that's too big of a job. Now I have taken some kids on like that because I've trained them through the year. So there's a level of loyalty that I want to like work with. I've had, you know, I've had kids that are like, I've had their siblings that I want to still work with and things like that. So I'll support them and give them kind of the best guidance I can. But it's a lot harder to make somebody a better football player than it is to make somebody really good in the weight room and really good on pro day. You know, I have a kid right now that we're converting from a basketball player to a football player. He is 
He was an, a national team player for, for Chile. He was uh, a division one basketball player stud, try to make his, you know, pr- you know, try to do his pro shot in the NBA. Didn't work out. It's a lot harder because of obviously the numbers. The kid is six, six and a half. And he was 232 pounds, when, uh, 233 pounds when he met me. Some guy, agents started talking to him, says he wants to play football. You know, I was like, well, we're going to see what you got, right? The kid's a freak. You know, he jumped 39 inches. You know, he's, he looks explosive. He looks fast. He's got natural hands because he's a basketball player. He could do anything. Well, we start talking to some NFL personnel. We start talking about people in the international program. We start talking to his agent. Like, what, do they, what does he need to do, right? He's never played football before. But he's not hurt because he's not banged up by the, by, by the sport. My job is to give him an incredible pro day, but then teach him the game. I have to teach him the game. That's a lot. That's going to be a lot longer process than somebody who knows the game that I got to teach just the weight room and teach just the, the test, you know? So in his situation, we're, he's 260, 265 right now. He jumped 39 inches yesterday. He ran, I went to the ANC combine that was down in Cali just to kind of get some film and get some kind of pop his chair to get some experience at 260 you know, five pounds, he runs four, seven. I mean, he jumps 39 at 260 something that that's a freak athlete. He's going to get a shot. He's going to get a look. I got to teach him the game. So learning the sport of football is going to be the longest process. Learning the weight room, learning the test is a whole different one. So my talent identification is I look for freaks and I look for (laughs) football players. No, uh, I do. That's it. Do you talk to him about pain? Like a, like a, uh, I'm always like, and we, you know, uh, was it two years ago? We went out and worked with Dave Spitz with his combine guys. And the one thing that nobody ever really talks about is like the pain factor of this. Like how, one, how are you going to manage your pain? Two, what are you going to do when they hand you some painkillers? Or more importantly, like you have to be able to make that deal with the devil. You got to be able to make the deal with the pain and say, hey, you know what? I know the pain's going to be my receipt for hard work and I'm just going to learn to live with it instead of fucking running from it. Do you uh, make a conscious decision as you're talking to these kids and being like, Pain is a fucking reality that if you don't face it now or at least start talking about it, it's going to sneak up on you. And next thing you know, you're going to be chewing fucking bikes like breath mints and, you know, doing a bunch yeah, of stupid so shit. This is, this is actually pretty near. Like, this is, a, this is an interesting thing that you brought up because this is pretty near and dear to me. Um, me one too. of the first things I do, one of the first things I do in that meeting. So that first meeting with our combine guys, we talk about kind of like the logistics, right? The operating procedures of how this is going to work, right? One of the first things I tell them is, like I said earlier, like, if you make it and you're the worst guy in the NFL, you're making a half a million dollars. Like your minimum contract's going to be like 1.2, 1.3 million over the course of, you know, your, your two through your deal. There's a cost of doing business in the NFL and, and understanding that is a very important thing. I tell people like, you know, the body picks the sport, the sport picks the body. But if you choose something and it's the square peg in a round hole, you're going to have to pay the price. Now, that being said, there's a different lifestyle in, in, in professional sports than what most people consider. Like most people, they go through the pain. They accept it. Most people, um, they're okay with a shortened career. You know, they, they, they think that the, the, the actual way that the doctors handle you, which is, you know, masking the problems versus actually fixing them is, is normal. Because that, that is normal in today's society. But that's not the best way to do it. And I, I think that there is another way. And I think that you can educate the athlete to where there's a level of autonomy and ownership around his training and his rehabilitation and his, 
kind of coping mechanism to pain to get them to understand what is the difference between pay that pain that they're paying for right now that is going to make them better today and pain that is actually starting to to really from the inside out create a rotten a rotting part of their body where it's actually degenerative where it's actually where it's breaking them down and if they don't learn to fix that and they don't actually work on that they're going to deal with things later on that's worse and masking the problem and shooting them up i mean we bring in um bring them in and we say hey listen you got to be honest with us and you don't need to be honest necessarily with the with the teams and and i'll give you a good example what i god like when i first we, we opened up a new facility six years ago and we did um we have like a nice conference room now, but in the old facility we had, um, it, it wasn't as nice of a conference room. We had to kind of take them into a different room to do this. And everybody was like sitting out and when we do the introduction to the um, um, the combine program, it's kind of like the trust but verify mentality. And I tell everybody, hey, listen guys, I know a lot of you guys have made decisions. I have like zero judgment on that. But if you've taken any drugs, if you smoked any weed, if you did anything, I need to know about it. So we know how to manage that because you're going to get tested when you go to the combine, like it's just going to happen. Right. And there's things that you're on that sometimes aren't prescribed to you that we have to make sure that we understand from a doctor standpoint and from a legal standpoint to get you through this process. So, you know, any of you guys smoke, if you guys are like, you know, smoking a lot or whatever it is, just raise your hand so that we at least understand what's going on. So you see, there's, let's say there's 15, you know, 20 guys in the room and two of them raise their hand right? I said, good. Everybody else over here. I said, these guys are good. Just fill out this paperwork. Chris, give every one of these other guys drug test because I don't trust you. You know, because the reality of it is, is the majority of them are. And it's our obligation to get them to learn to be honest with us so we could help them. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be like, hey, look what I did, at, you know, when I was 17. But it's important to get them to understand that, that they have to learn their bodies and they have to learn to be honest about it because there's going to be times where doctors, people of authority are giving them things that are really, really detrimental to their health and to their career. Well, and, and they don't care. And, and look you dead in the face and lie to you. They don't care because yeah. their job, like that doctor's job is to get you back onto the field. I brought a doctor into this year's NFL combine class who's one of the most respected people in the world at what he does. And, I, and he, has a, he has a son who is a high school kid who's been going through some stuff. And I try to explain to them like, he lives in a different world of medicine than, than, than sports. And he was like, you know, I don't understand. I don't believe that. Like, and, and guy's a very smart person. And, and I said, listen, let me explain something to you. Like the world of sports is very different than the medicine world that you live in. And he's like, no, I know it can be a certain way. So let me try to explain it to you. And I pulled one of my players aside who in his position um, had for, for his stats, which is tackles had the ranked, uh, led the nation. So he's a pretty good ball player. And I brought him over and I said, look, he, he had a, a bunch of injuries. And I said, let's walk through your injury history. I said, cool, your senior year, let me ask you a question. What did you do before every game? He's like, what do you mean, coach? I said, this is Dr. So-and-so. I said, I want you to tell him what they did to you every single, before every single game. He's like, well, we, I would warm up with the team, you know, and I would have like, I would literally take like two to three pain pills and you tell him what he was taking. And then I, he would warm up with the team, just like everybody. And then right before the game started, he would go in and they would shoot him in the shoulders. Then he would go back out. And I said, and he, the, the doctor was like, he did, they did what? Do you know what they put in you? And do you know, and he was like, no, not really. You know, they just, I just know I, I was, by the time probably the third quarter came around, I couldn't, I, my, I felt my shoulders again and I was in pain again, but like 
for the first half and going into the third quarter, I was I was numb. I felt great. So it was probably a mix of like lidocaine, a little bit of novocaine, maybe a little dexamethasone, and then a Toradol shot. A little. So you're I've checking always, some boxes. <laughs> yeah, checking no, some boxes. So I know the deal. So so then. I asked the doctor, I said, I, I said, let me ask you a question. I said, how many times do you think it's acceptable to give a, a, a 21 year old human body that shot? And he goes, I mean, I mean, if you're in war and if there's something like severe and we understand we have to get through this because we have to get out of it. Right. I mean, maybe like at most twice a year and it's going to really start to like break down the human body. How many times did you, he goes, Oh, every game for two years. Every single game. So now you tell me who has an obligation to make that person's, you know, joint healthy again. I mean, I have an obligation to actually go back and pull back the layers and actually fix some of those things because the long-term side effects of what they, they did to that shoulder is going to cost them some stuff. Yeah, I do, And I, I see it all the time with knees and I see it with shoulders and I see it with hips and I see it with backs. One of my Not to mention that they're masking a lot of it with just the, 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 the narcotics that they're going into the system yeah. by pills. Well, so, the, it's the Toradol shots, man. Like, uh, I do, like, uh, my deal was I, I didn't get a Toradol shot in the beginning of the season. I waited until I absolutely needed it where I couldn't make fists anymore. And I knew if I bruised my hands and I couldn't make fists, it was time to get the Toradol shot. And then you'd roll in, and then it was funny. You'd always be in the shower, and everybody would have the same exact bandage on their butt. Like, <laughs> and you'd yeah. look, and you'd be like, well, I guess everybody got a Toradol shot. That's the time of year. And we'd always make the, you know, like dudes would come in uh, after pregame and be like, man, I need to get a shot, dude. I can't fucking play. Yeah, but then you get addicted to it. And then you yeah. have the painkillers that make your brain feel a certain way. And yep. then you're constantly there. And you're like, listen, there's a cost to doing business when you get paid this way because the politics and the things that are involved. And that's that's one thing. But you are being a pro. To me, the word, the definition of a pro is the P stands for passion. Like you got to want it. It's not someone else's deal. Like you got to be excited about it. You got to show up every day. You got to enjoy kind of the process, the grind you know, the, the elite level of sport and what that's like. The R is resiliency. There's going to be some shit that happens to you. Like you ain't, you ain't going to come out of this world safe. That's just what it is. The O is ownership. You got to take ownership. You got to take ownership in your process. And you got to take ownership of your, your body because if not, someone else takes ownership of you. Well, you know, their, their, their idea. That's why at the college level, they need you for two and a half years. That's it. And whatever they got to do to accelerate your, 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 your physical ability to do a job for two and a half years, they're happy about. They don't care. How many college players do you know that didn't make it to the NFL so they didn't get that paycheck, but they have the exact same physical negative side effects of, you, of an athlete like you that played 10 years in the league? Because uh, – Pretty decent amount, man. Like, I knew a lot of dudes that uh, were more broke. Like, uh, I have my injuries, but I consider myself extremely lucky. There are guys that I played college with that are more broken than what I am. And a lot of that has to do with – there's two things. I would say, like, there's a mental fortitude that you have to kind of work through that, right? There's some unluckiness, right? There's some things that are unlucky. But then there's also this thing of, like, in their mind, that's their only way out. That was their only way through school. That was their only way through. So they'll just do whatever their doctor says. So they're very naive to that process. And they're very used to, if you look at like the AAU basketball model, they're very used to these people of power and in this position, just telling them what to do and then doing it. Well, the other one too like, is, okay. is um, I think that there's uh, a certain, I mean, uh, Luck's a major player in it, but and I don't know if it's the painkiller slow healing, but I think there's some genetics to it. Like uh, the, certain people were just built different to be able to, to handle these things. 
like um, uh, you know, like it's the same. Like it, it was weird. Like I saw two di- two of two different people do the exact same thing. One guy breaks, you know, uh, herniates a disc in his back, and the other guy's fine. Like um, I watched some guys punch and you know break hands. I watched myself do that same punch and fucking break the you know break the individual. And I just always remember thinking, like, man, there's, it's either got to be joint angles, it's got to be strength, it's got to be musculature, it's got to be genetics, your ability to heal. Like, there's a whole bunch of key factors. And I even went down the rabbit hole of, like, could this be a nutrition deal with, like, small intestine, inflammation? Like, what does it look like? And you start trying to work backwards. And then you realize, man, certain people are just built to survive this thing better. Their joints don't deteriorate. They're able to hit more. And I really think it's the guys that um, that make a deal with the devil, man. That's what I always called it. Like, like you know it's going to hurt. The pain is the receipt for it. And you either make a deal with it and you know it's going to happen, or you run from it, which is what a lot of guys end up doing. And I think when you run from the pain uh, and you mask it, that's when guys get into a lot of problems. And I think that's when the reason why When you embrace it, when you embrace it, what you're doing. So, And again, I don't want to make the deal with the devil because I think that that creates an environment to where there's no way out, right? Which is, you know, which is a, it's a, it's a very positive thing in regarding like mental focus. But when you embrace the pain and you say, okay, there's something that is taught when you learn to work through it. So when you're at, like when you push through that fat threshold, the next time in game day, you're here. And when you experience that, you know how, that you know what you're made of. Um, and a lot of people don't know what they're like. That's why you see some of these big, very talented people that are soft. They're just, they don't know how to, they quit. They quit too early. Um, and long-term, when you start looking at your your health, I think that there needs to be a sense of like, I know that that's not good for my body. Like they're, 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 some players need to step up and go, you know, I know that that's not good for me because when you buy into it and, you, and you're always letting someone else tell you what to do, then, then you're very susceptible to go any which way. And I think that there's a lot of things that are very valuable. Like, so when you look at like development from a coaching standpoint, from your education, development from an athletic standpoint, there's a lot of things that are valuable in the sense to say, this guy is the best. This is the example of what I want to be like. I just want to follow course. Like give me the curriculum, give me the program. I, I don't have to think about it. I could just follow the script. That's a part of it. But then there's also like the other part, which is ownership, which is I need to make decisions that's in best interest for me because no one else is going to care about me. Right. And you have to be able to kind of, you know, kind of play that game back and forth. So I, I, I totally agree with you because this is the stuff that no one's talking about. I mean, I, I, it's talk about after it's too big of a problem instead of beforehand. And, you know, I, I, I think it's at the college level, it's where it's the worst because there's no resources because you're almost forced to do it their way. Because yeah. there's no other way that those kids are going to get medical help um, without the guidance of the agenda of the coaching staff that's the difference, you know, versus the health of the athlete, you know, and if they, if they actually, if they weren't in a rush and they weren't trying to protect their jobs every day, um, you probably see better football. You probably see kids come out of this better because if you basically slow cook kids, you're going to get a, a, a marinated piece of meat. That's going to be amazing versus you get someone too strong too soon. When you like, you could really, you could accelerate strength really, really quickly. You could get somebody strong pretty quick. That doesn't mean it's healthy for them, right? But I only, I understand that there's an athletic window. But if you start looking at the kids that play sports, um, you know, let's say they even started in high school. I mean, a high school high school football camp is tough, like for people's bodies. Not everyone's meant to get through that. College football season, you know, is tough too. I mean, and the NFL is a little bit less. But game day in the NFL 
is nothing compared to college. I don't care what anyone says. Like physically, what those guys put their their, their bodies through on a game day, the velocities, the bend, they're just so big. Um, it, and then, yeah, there is positions that are, are are protected, like the quarterback and some of the you know, wide receivers on offensive side. But in the trenches, the technique, the violence is there's nothing like it. Like you could, like I said, it's easier for you to throw that guy at the college level that looks good for your highlight tape than it is for you to actually manage you know, them in space, you know, and learn to turn them because it's a lot more taxing on your body to do that. And that other guy across from you is way more skilled than the guy that you face in college, you know? So, um, and, they're absolutely and, and is a cost older, of doing business. And yeah. older and with, you know, like I played against guys, you know, let me come in in your twenties and you're playing against these 30 year old men that have been married twice and have fucking five, uh, you know, child support payments and alimony and this, and a dude's out there fucking steaming. And you're like, What's going on with this guy? It's like, oh, fuck, he's got divorced for the second time. It's going to cost him a lot. So, I mean, you have a whole bunch of different things going on uh, that, like, you know, people are out there playing for blood. Like, there's no love of the game. This is no rah, 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 USC fucking din. Like, people are out there. <laughs> like, I mean, dude, it, it's like hired hitmen, like hired killers, man. You bring people in, and they're out there trying to fucking take scalps and, like, be, you know. Uh, like, these guys have heard me say it over, over and over whenever people ask me about playing football. I'm like... I don't know if I was a good football player, but I was definitely a master of violence. I had the ability yep. to, to use violence as my tool, and I could use it and direct it. And, like, the, the sport in which I played was one that, uh, and the way that I played, uh, violence was favored. And I was just really good at handling, developing, weaponizing, and fucking being a violent individual. I mean, but where else, other than in combat sports directly, what, where else can you do that legally? Nowhere. Uh, Which is awesome. Like, like if that's who you are, if that's what your makeup is, I mean, that's that's a good feeling to be able to just say, I could legally hurt you. Yeah. Um, And I'm getting praise for it. So uh, Tom Modrak, who was our GM at the Eagles, uh, was GM for, you know, with the Steelers forever. I remember when I was a rookie, came over. We were stretching before training camp. And I'll fucking remember this to the day I die. He looked at me and he said, no, I want you to to know two things. One, you're my guy. I drafted you. you know, if you do well, I do well. And the second one is, remember, this is a violent game played by violent individuals who get paid a lot of money to do violence on behalf of old white men. Don't ever fucking forget it. And I was like, yes, sir. And uh, that was that was probably, like, my greatest two moments, especially, like, that deal. is like I made no illusions about it. I wasn't out solving cancer. I wasn't out there, you know, trying to fucking be NFL man of the year and change this and do all these. No, I'm... The more violent you are, the more the more violent you are, the better you are at your sport, the more recognition you could have. The best way for people want to stand up to something and make change in something is be the best you could be in the position and the role that you that you want to be. And then your voice is louder. Well, that's a Colin Kaepernick thing. Why, uh, you know, people, you know, were were kind of riding him down and now this and I was always like, hey, man, uh, I don't have any problem with him protesting. But the thing that kind of bugged me a little bit is he didn't start that until after he got benched. For me, if he wanted to have this platform, go out and win that Super Bowl, be the best player, and then stand up and do whatever you want to do. But doing something as the backup after you've lost your job just felt disingenuous to me. I mean, if you look at the, like, if you look at the overview caption of my book, it's the first thing I talk about, and and it's tough for a lot of people to see that because it's now attached to this huge agenda. Sure. Right. It's attached to this, what's happening in this world right now. It's attached to this, this huge agenda. So it's really hard to kind of like, you know, navigate this conversation to where people are like, well, but this, but this, but this, but like, no, 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 no. If you go back to like where this has started from and what's going on, that we could actually have a real conversation. And the hard part is, is people don't want to because they're number one, they're uneducated. Number two, they're polarized. um, They're so swayed 
by other people's agenda and like their emotion that that's that's how they're selling them they're attaching their agenda to something that you are emotional about and not giving you actually ways to actually fix it and and i don't think that's ever the answer um i'm i'm very i have a lot of pride in in, in being able to live in a country that is the greatest country in the world and the pride that i have for the people that defended this country and the pride that i have for my parents who raised me in an environment to have respect whether we disagreed with we don't doesn't mean we agree with everything that happens but i ain't no other other place i would rather be and i don't want my son my son's three years old i want my son raised in an environment where it's not okay to be honest about these things i don't want i don't want to be raised in an environment where it's not okay for him to stand up for what he feels is right whether i agree with it or not like you have that right to do that yeah um but it, i don't think that you have that right to um disrespect others in the process i don't think you have the right to forget what has laid the groundwork for you to be able to do those things and i think that's um it's a sad place that we're in and in a lot of areas i have no problem talking about it um, because i have strong feelings but I also don't feel that sports the place for that. I think that that's the place where we are are all welcome. I mean, talk about an inclusion environment. Like, do you did you honestly give a shit where somebody was from if he was the best player for that role? No, um, this is the same deal. And I've told these guys on this podcast, uh, Jason Dunn, who I played with, who's one of my favorite play, uh, people in the world. Uh, you know, we were kind of talking when this whole thing kind of cracked out, and uh, he's like, "Man, I think uh, the whole world would have been better if they got to play on an NFL team." <laughs> Where like, you know, and, um, you know, so many times that like, shit would have been nipped in two seconds. If someone would have done that, if someone would have had like a, like I have a, at the end of my internship, the, the last slide is a slide of Mario brothers. And it says, be like Mario. Don't be racist. It says, be like Mario, uh, an Italian plumber made by Japanese people jumps like a black man, grabs coins, like a Jew, be like Mario. Don't be racist. Yeah. It, I don't really care where you're from. I don't really care what you're like. You if you could do your job and you do it with a level of like integrity and values and ethics, like absolutely just be a damn good person. And don't get me wrong. There's some other things going on in our world that I think that there should be voices for, but that's not one of them. And I'm not saying that I'm trying to take that voice away from you. What I'm saying is what you're saying isn't really adding up. And if that shit would have happened in the locker room, yeah. man, you would, like, we fought every day in college. Like, like that was actually fun. We used to start fights just to piss our coaches off. That shit would have happened in the locker room. Like, it's funny. Like, you don't really – a fight in a, on a field and a fight in a locker room are two different things. Yeah. You never fight in a field because of the things that are, are, are someone taking a kneel on on the field for. You fight in the locker room for that. You fix it there. Well, the other and one, it, too, is uh, – I dude, uh, this whole social media thing has absolutely fucking destroyed these poor kids' lives. Like, I, I like, text heard me when, I, when we went to go work with those combine kids. I was like, man, I feel so far – so sorry for you that you have to play in the NFL with this social media nonsense. Uh, I, I remember the first time I saw the power of social media, uh, Larry Johnson went in at halftime and he was tweeting uh, at halftime about some shit and they came down and fucking benched him over a tweet that he made at halftime because he was pissed off about something. And I remember thinking like, oh, it's fucking over. Like now that people have this direct line, this portal, this platform, the ability to fucking say this and like it's just – I. I think it's. Uh, I think a lot of athletes feel compelled to say something because they have a platform and a position where people are looking up to them. So there's this feeling of like I have to say something. I have, and then the problem too is if a guy's like, "Hey man, um, I just want to go out and play my sport. I want to be the best of my sport, and I don't really want to let this shit taint it. I want to be able to go out and do this thing and the, the purity of which I play." Uh, then you have all these fucking virtue signalers and these assholes fucking throwing stones at them. How dare you not use your platform? It's like, fuck, fuck you. This is my platform. Well, let me, this let, is let me. Let me ask you a question. Who are you let to me tell ask, me? Like, since we're actually having this, let me ask you a real question. Anyone that says this, 
could you go to your job every day? Could you go to your job and basically say, uh-uh, I'm processing in my job. I, I, I'm going to go to my work. I'm going to go to my desk computer. And at the, my, my screen on my Zoom call is going to be my personal and political beliefs. Could you do that at your job? No, you get fired, dude. Well, that's what they're doing in the NFL. Yeah. And right. that's their job. So don't give me that so, crap. Like that, that your, your, your thought process behind that, the person who's presenting it, that is that thought process. They're not right or wrong in either one. They have that choice. But you're saying you're saying that that it's okay only if it fits this agenda. Well, here's the, the here's the bullshit, and these guys have heard me say this numerous times. So in '99 and 2000, when I played, we never came out for the national anthem. We were always like we would go in and we heard the national anthem in the locker room every time. And then as soon as we heard the whole thing go out, then we would run out. Uh, and we we never we were always in the locker room for the national anthem. I never heard one. It wasn't until 9/11. When you remember, like America, you know, celebration. Oh, yeah. What happened was uh, the U.S. government, the U.S. military, paid the NFL, which fucking NFL gives nothing away for free, an exorbitant amount of money to do the celebration of America and have everybody out with the fucking flags and do the whole deal over the flag and bring out the soldiers. That was bought and paid for by the. Yeah, US that was a military. marketing. That was, was a marketing, marketing thing deal. for the yeah, but, yeah. For, for recruitment. So we uh, we came out for the national anthem for the first time in two, after 9-11 to hold the flag and we all shook it and did that and then we've come out for the uh, national anthem every time after that and so like when this whole thing came out I was like you realize it's only been in within the last you know call it 20 years or 15 years yeah. uh, when this whole thing started going down uh, where NFL players were on the field for the national anthem all I would have done was I've been like everybody in the locker room for national anthem I would have just fucking been like nobody's out everybody go back in the locker room we're going back to how we did in 2000 you know, it's and, and and as you get to a, a world where September twelfth was never forget, right? Like, and, yeah. and how quickly do we forget? How quickly do we forget? Because you know, you still now you have, I mean, a protest that we're not going to have the nine eleven um, tribute in New York because it's it's too hard to do and it's too dangerous. Really? That, that that came out. Yeah, they oh, finally Jesus. flipped it, but that that's insane. And I, again, I, I hate to. I don't think there's, there's a place for this. And this is interesting. This is, this conversation is, is took a turn for more of a, you know, a, a, you know, coaches and bourbon conversation, which I'm okay with. Um, uh, I like bourbon. Uh, I like lifting weights, oh, yeah. but I mean, at the end of the day, man, like Ben uh, Milan Burnin in, in, in Austin is really good, by the way. It's a pretty local, it's a local bourbon. It's owned by a female. Um, it's probably like 30 minutes from you guys. So uh, what was that one more time? <laughs> I think it's like Ben Milan bourbon. I'll, I'll send it to you. Yeah, no, there's yeah, uh, uh, at the specs up the street from here, man. They got a hell of a collection of Texas bourbons, man. Like, uh, we'll we got a bunch of them sitting over here, but people uh, don't realize that great bourbon there. there. Yeah. It's just not very well known, but it's phenomenal. Small boutique, you know, yeah. places that do great especially work. in this hill country. I mean, like I like the balconies. Um, got some pretty decent ones. And uh, yeah, there's, I mean, dude, every time I go into specs to go get anything, I'm always like, what listen, Texas job is like, you got to get me sponsored by bourbon companies and, and we got to get you sponsored by like Levi's or Wrangler. Let's go. <laughs> there you go. That's it. And we're good. That's how you save the world. That's how you save the world. So, uh, man, I, I think the problem and, uh, at, you know, dude, I'm, I'm so appreciative that you're out there working with these young athletes and especially these college guys and like discussing with them, like the responsibility, like you have a responsibility to, for, you know, to do be the best player for whatever reason, like accolades, generational wealth, whatever. But at the end of the day, like, like I, I don't know why everybody's so quick to want to get into this fight and to, you know, stand on the side. And I keep hearing this thing, like you don't want to be on the wrong side of history. And I'm like, man, like I don't ever want to be forgotten for what I did. And, uh, I, 
these are trying times, man, and I just want these kids to be successful. I want them to go out and play the, you know, have the same experience I have, be able to make money, fame, uh, you know, hear the roar of the crowd, not hear the roar of the crowd, do all those things and have that experience. And I feel like all this stuff, like from COVID and whatever, it's just taken away from like something that was extremely pure and fun. And I want everybody to have that experience. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, sports could teach some amazing lessons um, and we're going through it right now. And, and I don't know what the, the lessons are going to be at the end of this, um, but it's definitely putting things to a test. And I think sometimes that's when you find out who uh, is really what somebody is really made of and who actually stands on that, because there's a lot of people that won't stand up for things. There's a lot of people that won't say anything and then they just let it happen. And I, and. I was saying in, in coaching when I talk to, you know, my staff um, is like anything I see my athletes do, I've either coached or I've allowed to happen. And I don't know which one's worse, ignorance or negligence. So, you know, sometimes we have an obligation to like interrupt poor patterns of what's been going on and call it out. And sometimes we have an obligation to like let things go because it's it, it needs to take its natural course but i think we forgot some of these um true values um that we were taught in sport because they're taking the power away from from sport they're taking actually the the equality away from sport they're taking the fact that um i mean they're actually taking some of the history away. People don't even know the history of sport and how it actually was created and, and what it was about. And um, that's scary to me. Like, I, I got to tell you, that's scary because you know what I want? You know, I, I think that I want people to be able to say when, when they're going through stuff, when they they got drugs and, and, and depression or when they're going through, you know, family issues or they're going through some like doubt in their mind, I want them to be able to go play their sport and have that as an escapism. And to say like they could be who they are like unapologetically be who they are the best they could be and show up with a, a pursuit of excellence and to be judged by that not judged by you know, you know anything else and um i'm not i mean i'm by no means a political figure by no means and don't want to be what i want to do is people i want people to ask me questions by the way i live my life not by the things i say and that's basically what it comes down to. People come to me because of the training results that I get, not because of how beautifully I articulate it. You know, people come to me because of they see the patterns and the momentum of the kids that I'm around and the success that they have. And they say, I want that. And I want to get closer to that. You know, I train some of the fastest athletes in the world and going on almost two decades now, going into a fifth Olympic cycle. And we've put people on the podium every single time and every single year our stuff is tested with different athletes. So it's not like we're getting the same athletes and every single year we're tested at the NFL combine, which has the same metrics and the same KPIs and we have to produce results. And if we don't produce results, we're fired. And it doesn't matter that I, I was saying that I had the prettiest gym or that I had the greatest saying, or that I had the greatest philosophy or concepts. None of that crap matters. What mattered was the results, you know? And that's the, the benefit is like, you know, you talked about fight sports. You know, I trained a lot in you know, jujitsu. I, I wrestled, you know, my entire life. Um, you know, I, I'm around some of the best boxing trainers in the world of all time. You know, Coach Bruce Babashian is, is one. Babashian is probably one of the best boxing coaches in history. And the lessons he teaches through boxing are unbelievable. But you know what? You know, it's funny because, you know, 
I, I would like, you know, doing, you know, just rolling and grappling with a guy. And it's like, ah, you know, today's the day I kind of want to just like chill. Today's the day I just want to work on this technique and I just want to do this. And that other guy's got some shit he's, he's working on and he wants to show up to like get it out. Like he, that's the day he wants to go up and he wants to roll and beat the crap out of you. And you start rolling with the guy and there's this kind of like unspoken, you know, commitment that you're going to protect yourself. I'm going to go full speed and you're going to go full speed. And if you don't protect yourself, that's on you. And he starts beating the crap out of me. And you're just like, oh, shit. Well, someone else showed up with a different agenda. If I don't flip the switch quick, I could get hurt. You know, and I think sports kind of has that kind of uh, opportunity to equalize things where you could just say, hey, I might have a different agenda than the other person. But at the end of the day, it's it, it doesn't matter. You know, if you, you might have some good days and bad days, you know, but if you don't show up, it's going to be a bad day. And I think that like, that's why, you know, one of the benefits of fight sports, I mean, I, I wrestled, you know, forever and I liked it. I love team sports, but there's also like, it's on me. I can't really turn around and blame anybody. I couldn't even blame my coach. You didn't prepare me for that moment. Like, no, like I could have been in a situation and not be in that moment. And that's just the way it works. And there's no excuse making in that, you know? And I think that we need to get away from our excuses and just take ownership of our, our win and our losses. You know, and I, you know, Conor McGregor is an interesting figure nowadays, but it's so funny because when he loses, he's like the first one to be like, listen, he showed up, was a better man that day. Now, my, my, can anyone talk better shit than him? No, he's like, say, like, can anybody, like, that guy, it's a fucking art. Like, he's got, yeah. he's the shit talker of the world. But I'll tell you what, and when he, and he does was it, killing Mayweather, and Mayweather is a good shit talker. Oh my God, they were just, it was so entertaining was, was and they knew awesome. what they were doing. Yeah. You know, Mayweather is so skilled on a boxing side yeah. that, as much as I, I, I love and support Connor and Floyd, if he wanted to play with them, he could, yeah. you know, he is that skilled. It yeah. is an, an, an unbelievable skill set that you have to have at that level. But at the end of a, a real fight, at the end of um, at the end of their real fight, they basically look at each other and they say, listen, I went to war with you and the outcome was the outcome. I've never mind you. I've won and lost a lot. I've never picked up a guy from the ground in my entire career athletically. And, and it may be, call me an asshole, whatever you want. I've never, I've never, I mean, I, I played linebacker. I've never hit somebody with my freaking screws on my helmet and then put my hand down to help them get up in my entire life. And some people think that's wrong. That's fine. You got to be a gentleman. Like, I'm not trying to be a gentleman. I've never at the end of a fight, someone I didn't like, liked them at the end of the fight. I just never liked them. That doesn't mean I didn't respect them. Right. And I've also I've also fought guys that I that I actually like. I fought my friends. That doesn't mean that during that time I'm going to take it easy on you. If anything, I went harder on you. And I think we're in a world today where like that's not proper. Well, I'm, I'm what I'm fighting for personally is to basically say, leave it out on the field. And be able to give your best, do everything you got and then let the results speak for themselves. And then the right people will follow you. You know, we didn't even get into speed training. We didn't even no. get into the stuff that I actually like about. Um, this has been a deeper and, a, a, and I think a more important conversation than that because it's, it's, it's like you said, it is timeless. And um, just opens just it up for be, another podcast. It's just going to put two. a little dot right there. Yeah, it's just going to put a little dot right there and say, this is where our, our heads were at this time. Because where were the podcasts during 9-11 for our, our athletes to be able to speak out about what their concerns were, right? Well, the number one concern after 9-11 was that, that people would like forget about what that was like, forget about what was it like to be an American and never have fear around your own safety. Cause that's what that was about. 
Like there was there, like you didn't walk around with a, a sense of fear around where you were in the environment. Now you got to put a mask over your face and the boogeyman exists. That's a scary, that's a scary place to be. Like if you are around people now, you're wrong. That's mm-hmm. not a safe space. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying that this isn't real, but what is, is definitely real is the fear that they're invoking in the lives of our, our, of our, our kids and the environment every single day. And then they're telling you what is okay. They're telling you that you're allowed to talk on this stage if you're talking about this. And they're telling you that you're not allowed to talk and you're not allowed to be around people if you're doing this. That's not a safe place. That's not the America that I grew up in. And that's not the America that I want to raise my son in. Two things. Well, one, I got a little boy who's four. And then also, so maybe one day they get to battle. Two, as a wrestler, uh, what do you think of the movie Vision Quest? So I didn't listen to your podcast, but I saw your title. Vision Quest is, is great, but it's not my it's not my wrestling movie. It's not my wrestling movie. My Ooh. believe it or not, my wrestling movie is is Snatch. Huh. That's the movie I'm watching. So I wasn't like you. <laughs> I, I was forced movie. to I was forced to watch Vision Quest because our our of our wrestling coaches. Yeah. But my wrestling movie, my my like pre game movie was Snatch. I do love that movie. Well, there, there is an... Harder than Coffin Nails. Very, I use that one all the time. Very intentional question mark in that caption. <laughs> like, okay. I don't it. know if people noticed it, but... I, like, like I said, I didn't listen to it, but mm-hmm. I love Vision Quest. So, oh, like, it's really hard for me to say... No, you're like, going to love the... Listen to that podcast. I, I think okay, you're really cool. going to get a kick out of it. It's like right. 30, 40 minutes, something like that. Yeah. Can, I, can I drop one quote I didn't understand? From what this conversation or from Vision, Vision Quest. Quest? Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Yeah, so <laughs> I gotta probably go back and watch it. But like, oh shit, I didn't see that message. Um, I gotta find it real quick. So do I need to stall? Does it? Yeah, uh, stall, stall. Does it involve sniffing panties? Yeah. So what for our listeners recently posted a few weeks back, um, episode three seventy eight. John, myself, and McQuilkin did a play by play of the movie Vision Quest, which if you've never heard of Vision Quest, and the reason we were asking um, Justin about it because of his wrestling background, it's like, it's the wrestler's anthem, essentially. Yeah. It's like for football players of the 80, or of the 90s and it was early a, 2000s. The, the program. program. The it program. It's the program. Right, yeah. right. Oh, man. For wrestlers. Okay. So here's the quote from the movie, and the, the character is Cooch. So his pal that yeah. helps... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it helps him discover vision, the term vision, vision quest. quest. And Loudon drops, the main character drops that he is wrestling shoot. And how Cooch describes him, this is how. <laughs> Come on. Shoots a monster. His own father had to use a live wire to keep him from fucking the fireplace. <laughs> what? What's a live wire? So a live wire like, like an electric prod. Yeah. For no, so so live wires like uh, like on the um, uh, like on the pastures for the cattle, but yeah. also for the horses. There's one live wire that shocks them. So he obviously had to cover the fireplace <laughs> in live wire to keep him from fucking it. That makes what total is, sense. Like what type of <laughs> what does that mean though? To he's fucking. The, he's 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 getting into the chimney. He wants the hot spot. You yeah. know, not a lot of people want the heat. <laughs> Not yeah. a lot of people want the heat. So the fireplace is so big that he's fucking the uh, that he's fucking the so chimney. So the, fi- the fireplace has a, a live fire in it. No, a live what? wire. No, but I, but he uses the live wire to protect, to protect him from the actual fire. Not just. I like how you guys are visualizing this. See, I never oh, got yeah, that I deep. Am. I gotta be honest with you. Right? I, mean, and, I see and, it right and, there. Shoots butt naked. I'm looking at roughly an eight foot wide chimney. Uh, Eight uh, foot wide chimney. Good God! He's yes. over there. He's over he the got a Santa Claus. <laughs> oh no no no! The chimney itself is eight foot wide, but the fire the oh, you fire mean box the hearth. 
the, the hearth. hearth. What did I say? I've been saying hearth chimney. this whole time. <laughs> so the hearth is eight feet. <laughs> and then you got, you know. The, um, the fire enclosure. Yeah, and is, is it wood burning? Is it, uh, is it maybe one of those, like, steel fireplaces they use to keep houses warm? Maybe that's what it was. Because I'm thinking, like, so a basic, brick fireplace. So, so the theme, the real thing that you have to get to is that he's got thicker skin down there to deal with that fireplace than most Americans do nowadays to listen mm-hmm. to sports. That's the, that's, the, that's the essence of it, is that oh, he's got thicker, thicker skin downstairs Justin, than I most people have on the I appreciate your analysis there, but I still just don't totally grasp it. See, do we have another couple no, hours here? No. <laughs> The weird thing is Luke's about to go out and get piece, two pieces of lemon meringue pie and a cup of coffee. That's right. It's helped me go, it's what helps me go to sleep at night. <laughs> yeah, when you do Tai Chi. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Please, do you do Tai Chi? I do not. No, but in the movie, you remember he goes up and delivers a guy the meal who's doing Tai Chi in his room. I know, but up. I wanted to see a visual of him at, at Power Athlete HQ. Like, doing uh, well, drugs. John can show him and I want to slip yeah, him you there. Can, like, oh, spot me and slip then his Jimmy. <laughs> and then... Uh, <laughs> Oh man, that movie! Dude, there, there's so many ridiculous things. Like today, they could make that movie because uh, one, like, no. uh, like old dude, like inviting him up to the room, trying to grab his junk. Uh-uh. Uh, the wrestling coach so, wrestling the students, and then yeah. patting them oh, on the dude, back. The, the wor- on the by back. the way, the worst wrestling movie. Okay, so you have you have to talk about like wrestling movie mantra. The worst wrestling movie is the one with um, the guy from The Office. God, what's his name? Oh yeah, uh, uh, Fox, Fox Catcher. Fox Catcher. Oh, horrible. I, I can't even watch it. Bonkers, bonkers. I cannot even watch it. So, like, when... Oh, I don't know. man. So, we... we if, What's if the any, movie? I've never seen Fox, this. Foxcatcher. It's about... Based, it's on, a on, um, based on a true story. Fox, uh, oh, the dude from... Channing uh, uh, Tatum the, is the, the actor. What's the family, though? Oh, I don't know the real da- story. Chemicals. Something chemicals. Dow chemicals? Maybe the Dow... Is it Dow family? No. Uh, anyways... Uh, yeah, it's like true story about uh, U.S. Olympic wrestling. This dude was just had more money than you know, like generational yeah. wealth. One of those families. It, it, Tex will find it. A Dupont. Dupont. Du- oh, Dupont. The Dupont family. So he starts so he his was fox from, catcher ranch. He was from Philly then, uh, yeah. the Northeast. And, and yeah, and then he invites like all the wrestlers out, the USA wrestling team. He builds and like he, a camp, yeah. and you know, did, pays for did the he kill thing. him? It's disgusting. It's kind of yeah. You, it's, yeah. It's, it's oh, dude, I think I, I, I remember. So, so I think I remember uh, the story because where they were was uh, out on the main line in Philly, and I remember there was some like weird thing with sports. But. Yeah, it was a little bit like the Emperor's News clothes, but then this the like the captain's like, "Hey, you're not a good wrestler," and everyone's just pan- like basically pandering, and then there's like a resentment that builds up there and ends in tragedy. But yeah, that one's uh, that is a bit grotesque, and like I I don't know if anyone's like who's watching the video. When we were talking about Vision Quest, I'm like kind of cringing when we're talking about these parts. It's not because I'm offended. I'm just, I hope we don't have the day where movies get can't, like we can no longer air this movie because of this behavior back in the... 80s, you know what I mean? Like it's already kind of happened. Yeah, it's happening with uh with like. I got one vision question for Justin as vision question. question. Vision question. Oh God, this is good. Well, Justin, you are a wrestler and well versed in technique. How did Vision Quest do? What do you mean? The wrestling scene, the actual like wrestling, technical representation of wrestling when Loudon (sighs) is uh, wrestling shoot mostly because that's like the. Not good. Horrible. There's no because, hand control. No, it's not, none of it. None of it has been know. real. Like I haven't. I haven't seen any of that been like real. Like it, 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 that. That's sad. Like when you first watch Fox, it's like it's painful to watch because you sit, you look at it. And you're like that's never gonna happen. Yeah. Well, what's, you know? Here's the question: What's the best football theatrical representation that you've seen? Oh, the best football movies. The program. Hands down. Yeah. 
Yeah, but I mean, the best anyway. football within a movie. Oh, you're saying like some most the, technically oh. sound football scenes. Right. Sound uh, football? I think the longest yard was Which by one? far Come on. the, the, no. the most recent With Adam one. Sandler? Uh, with Sandler was great because it was a bunch of ex-NFL players yeah. like Romanowski and, and all these Goldberg. fucking guys. And Goldberg. Like everybody that, Bob Sapp, uh, all oh, those guys right. were all football <laughs> players. And there was a pretty, I, I thought I'm going good. necessary roughness. Uh, oh, oh yes. By the way, and she was hot in that movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. oh, oh my god. Oh yeah. My goodness. Man. Thanks, Between her and Michelle uh, Pfeiffer back in the day, those uh, were like that. Friday movie. Necessary roughness. Oh, dude. Well, it. we we got Don't throw it to stone hands. <laughs> we lined up almost famous. I think oh, we're yeah, gonna okay. do that. Yeah, it's the uh, 20th anniversary. I, I gotta go Friday Night Lights, the the movie, Billy Bob version. But you're a big CW Friday Night's Lights guy, no. right? I'm not. Whole, you have the DVD collection. If I, uh, that is that, not it's wrong. Next to your friend. Uh, I'll tell you no, what. The, the reason is, is, is Tex comes out in the whipped cream bikini. I mean, that's mm, that's varsity standard. blues. That's his standard move. <laughs> Pretty good. No, the Friday Night Lights TV show. I got a rope doped. Literally, I watched three episodes. Two episodes had football, and the third one it was just like high school drama. Mm-hmm. Where's the football? Mm. It was, so I stopped watching after oh, that. Yeah, and then you started fucking taping them and VHSing yeah. them. Uh-huh, VHS collection. Yeah, lies. VHS. Lies. You are full <laughs> of lies. It was TiVo. All right, <laughs> Justin, thanks for joining us, dude. We we do got to line up for another episode, and I'm feeling these 2021 Olympics and trying to root for some potential guys you got yeah. out there. But Sweet. Awesome. Any, yeah, we, got a, we have a squad. Um, this would be, you know, it's funny. Oh, man, it's – I actually thought I was done. Because it's just so, what's well, so, it's so intimate. It's so you have to invest so much, and there's so, and there's a lot of politics involved um, at that level. And you know, I thought I was done. And you know, one of one of the athletes that I'd worked with, um, you know, previously, you know, wanted to give it another run. And then uh, a few others kind of made the introduction. And I have um, I have a unique situation where. I feel very confident that we can medal in the same event in two different Olympics, in the Paralympics and in the um, and the uh, um, other Olympics. So I feel like it's interesting that we could um, have a chance to do that, and I'm looking forward to it. I have an athlete that is uh, was the men's soccer Paralympic national, uh, player of the year, and um, he the U.S. team did not make the Olympics in the para, uh, the Paralympics, the U.S. men's soccer team. So he wants to give a shot in track and field. And um, so he's never ran track before. And um, he's going to give it an Olympic run. So And he's training right side by side with some of my guys that are – and he's training right, you know, with a two-time Olympian. He's training with another one that's, you know, uh, you know, was at Doha. And um, he's with a lot of other really good guys. So it's pretty cool to see his first experience – you know, yeah. potentially for an Olympic run or for a track run is going to be at the Olympics. And uh, it's a great story. I mean, the kid's got, you know, he's got a hole in his brain and, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's an awesome story to see that. And then I have another one that's, you know, going into his third Olympic cycle and um, it's really cool. It's, it's weird where athletes, as they get older, you know, there's different issues that you have to deal with, but at that, that level, it's really like, it's like fine wine, man. The more that are aged, the better they are at it, the more that they understand. I, I mean, I have one that, you know, we have to message through, like, you know, I just used Train Heroic and it's awesome to actually, you know, do the videos and, con- con- you know, connect with them and, you know, give them his updates. And he's like, like I, I don't talk to him for like two, three months sometimes. Um, all right. 
and I'm like, hey, man, is everything all right? And he's just like, it's been great. And he just gives some time to think and everything else. And he comes back and the dialogues are better. And, you know, they, they just know what they need. The older you get, the more pro you become, then they know what they need. And, and as a coach, when you can kind of take yourself out of it to give them more, that's a very unique space. You know, and, and as I'm removing myself from a lot of the things during the certain time, uh, I could give them more, which is great. And then obviously, as we get a little bit more closer and we run through a full camp, um, you know, which would have been going on right now, like, um, you know, a couple weeks ago would have been the finals. So, you know, we're, you know, going on about like nine months away now. And we're going to obviously get into a full camp as we go into like January and February. And um, it's exciting. It's really exciting. We have a potential for six guys, um, you know, that, that have a chance. I think four have a, have a legit shot. But I think, you know, right now six that will we'll probably take it. And that's not considering any uh, relay our, our team guys. Those are just single events. So that's that's pretty cool. Something I'm, I'm excited about. And um, I think the difference there is like, every micro step matters, right? Like it's like you get, a, you could, you could get away with a lot in, in other sports there. You can't get away with anything. Yeah. We got to get back on and chat for sure. I'd love to, I'd awesome. love to, man. I appreciate it. Um, you know, you know, I, I didn't know I, I was coming into this with, um, you know, just a completely open mind. I'd love to talk to you guys. This was actually fantastic. Um, you know, my standard was tech, so I apologize that I was prejudging <laughs> you guys uh, already. But um, it was it so, was, it was so the absolutely. Group let awesome. you down today? No, what not at all. No, not at all. Is, it was. It was I'm trying to figure out how did you get in the room. Ooh, burn ban is off. Ah, squat. I'm just no, kidding. No, what, what, what needs stuff. what needs to happen? Because there's a few things that that Austin has that that the world doesn't have, and that's that's some of it is, is good food. Uh, you can't find some of the food there anywhere else. So I'm looking to get there. As Let's much go. As Happy hopefully to have when you we do. can travel. That's what I'm looking forward to do. Um, and uh, anyways, I appreciate it. It's an absolute honor to be on. Thank you again. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks, Justin. Thank you. Thank you, Power Athlete Nation, for listening to another episode of the Premier Podcast in Strength and Conditioning. Hey. Bye. Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. You can follow Coach Cav on Instagram under the handle, you guessed it, at Coach Cav, and find his book, Man Up, anywhere books are sold. Uh, that's probably not correct. Not anywhere books are sold, probably not yard sales or like children's bookstores will have it. So better stick with Amazon. Okay, bye. Bye.